it is Six Pack Lapidat. Today on the podcast, we got Garrett Fear making his return. We first had Garrett on, and uh, it, I mean, that podcast blew, and um, is the most downloads we ever got. So definitely had to have him on. He was coming on for the uh, um, the big showdown meet is coming in September, and he was on the roster, booked him, and then found out he's not going to be competing, but whatever, my man is still a great podcast guest, and as it turned out, did a full research, individual, lifter by lifter, let alone division by division, for the showdown event in September, and, and there's some big time lifters in there, so we ended up chatting for I mean, I just want him on as a straight-up guest, let alone a full-on preview for the showdown event. So we ended up chatting for three and a half hours and did this showdown event breakdown around the two-and-a-half-hour mark. And I'm like, look, we got to chop this up. And then three and a half hours, we took two pee breaks because, you know, we're human. So... There's some editing involved in this one. I split this up into two episodes, but it wasn't just cutting in half. I had to actually go in because this wasn't necessarily planned out like this and uh, and snip it. And then obviously there's two breaks. So you might notice that if you do, because we don't normally edit these at all, you will notice a couple breaks. I'm going to do my best with the editing, but uh, I chopped it up when I had the chance. Also, listening to this back while editing it for uh, breaking it up into two different podcasts and taking out the pee breaks, damn, I'm going to apologize ahead of time. I got a trucker mouth on this episode. I do some editing for the video clips I post up on our Instagram um, IGTV, but holy moly, man, I am dropping F-ball. I must have been excited. Uh, but I didn't like it. I was listening to it like that's too much, you know. I don't, I don't, I didn't like it. So I'm definitely gonna be putting a curb on the trucker mouth from here on out. I don't mind the on the odd f bomb to accentuate a point, but not freely when you're just having conversation. But uh, but anyways, all that aside, uh, enjoy. This will be broken up into two different episodes. I'll probably drop the showdown prep one. Um, later on, a little closer to the competition, and uh, and there you have it. With no further ado, Garrett Fear. How you been, man? Holy shit! Listen, um, last time you were on, holy smokes, did that thing blow up? I can't, I can't emphasize enough. Everybody in the mother was like, "Holy shit!" That episode. It was easily the most downloaded episode, the most shared episode, the most talked about episode to this day. Um, people could not believe, like I know you've been on podcasts and probably said your story, but people could not believe A, your story, and then more than just that, more than just your background, but your personality, man, you were on fire that day. Like you were fired, shoot from the hip, and you were hit when you shoot, you know what I mean? Yeah. And people were like, God <laughs> damn, it was fun. Yeah, actually. Yeah, as I've started to do more of these and started to talk to people more and just do this more and, you know, really start to delve into my social personality. I've just been contemplating more and more on doing my own podcast, you know, so it'll probably happen at some point. I want to do something similar 
I know he's canceled, but like similar to Chris D'Elia's podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's like the type of thing I want to do. I want to just make this list of things that I'm going to talk about, all types of things, and uh, just go down the list. I'm, I think I'm going to at some point. I want to find somebody to sponsor it and buy me a bunch of decent equipment. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. And that's part of it. Have you, like, I think the reason why that first podcast came out, um, the reason why the impact of it, because sometimes there's so many people we have that um, you see them on social media and you get a bit of flavor for the personality, but you don't fully, you don't know their background, why we are, who we are, what led us up to the point of, hey, this is me and this is why I'm me and this is how I view things. And like, and then when that dropped, it became a, you were far more than anybody thought. You know what I mean? Like it was more yeah. than just the odd caption and you don't get that with social media. And then afterwards yeah. people like other podcasts and there's fucking a million of them are like, let's get this fucking guy on here. Oh, <laughs> let's get this guy on here. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's the, that is the problem with social media is you, you only get a glimpse of people's personalities or you just find out that people don't have them and their, their entire personality is encased within their social media. So right. I'm very glad that that is not me. No, well, I mean, look at, you can have a guy who, or a girl who's like, ah, they're really funny. Are they really funny or are they just reposting someone else's memes? Cause anyone can well, do that. Dude, I, uh, <laughs> I had a funny conversation with a good friend the other day and uh, he, he, he's actually a, a, currently a roommate. He's a good buddy. I used to work with him. And he's telling me about this guy who, you know, he, he loves to tell this story about when he goes to hotels and that when he goes to hotels, you know, there's always this talk of like shameless hotel sex, you know? And, uh, you know, that when you go by, but he goes by himself and he jizzes on the curtains because he knows they don't change those. And that's a fucking Tom Segura bit. That's like a Tom Segura stand-up comedy bit. And this buddy of mine is like, my friend did this and said this. And he says it all the time. I'm like, that dude's an asshole because all he's doing is quoting somebody else's shit. Yeah. Yeah. No, dude, it's social media is, you're 100% right. Social media is that though. Um, you know, unless you hop on a podcast and just let it fly. But even then, yeah, you could work out some shit that's not yours. Yeah. You know, you can easily front and, and people are not the same when you meet them in real life, for sure. Um, so when you, when you were thinking about doing like, I know you mean Crystalia with this cancel, how Crystalia got canceled, whatnot. How do you feel? Because you are so outspoken a guy and, um, and you let that shit fly. After the, after the initial King of List podcast, which fucking went bonkers, and people were like quoting you and shit. I, I wasn't even reposting all of the quotes, but people were listening to the podcast and quoting your quotes from the podcast and sharing on their stories. People you will not have met though. Like, I mean, like, because King of Lifts, um, it's like, a, we got people in like Asia, Europe. There's people like yeah. fucking Malaysia who are downloading and quoting some of your shit. And I wasn't reposting every single one of them. But the thing is, um, I, maybe beforehand, before everyone got to know you, you might be like, oh, whatever, I'm just doing my thing. And people who know me are following me. But then after something like that happens, were you like, okay, for now on, when I go on a podcast, I better maybe, be, you know, I got to watch what I say. Uh, so <laughs> after that podcast, I was like, okay, well, I think I'm going to, it's not that I was going to watch what I say, because that's not what I'm going to do. I, um, I'm going to say what I want to say. I'm just going to find better ways to articulate it and maybe try to be a little bit less brash. That has been a 
that has been something that uh, that is that is an adjective that has been used to describe me a lot in the last two years <laughs> is brash and uh <laughs> some really good stories of people who i'm i'm you know friendly with and friends with i'd like to say i'll get a, i'll get a dm on instagram or a text message and i'll be like hey man I just want you to know, I thought you were really fucking brash when we first met, but I'm kind of starting to realize that's just who you are and you don't mean to necessarily offend anybody. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. I have this, I just, I don't know. I want to like, I don't want to be that guy who has a thought and has to keep it to myself because I'm worried about somebody else not liking me because of my thoughts. Mm -hmm. And uh, especially if it's a, like an, an opinion on somebody that I feel encases their entire character. I'm going to be like, listen, you're a piece of shit and here's why. And yeah, I mean, I don't think I'm necessarily really going to watch what I say. Just maybe, maybe, maybe try to piss people off a little bit less. But Well, yeah. you know, it is, um, it is a sign of, I know what you mean. Like, look, sometimes you don't even know how people see you until they tell you. And then you're like, sometimes I found too. So I think certain people, not everybody, but some people see me differently than I see myself. Not necessarily people in my inner circle, but some people. And then you start asking yourself, if someone doesn't know me, am I coming off different than I really am? Because you're yeah, only seeing brass sides. Yeah, I don't feel that way. Yeah, I don't feel that way. No, okay. I think, I think the way I think of myself is generally the way anybody else is going to think of me. I just think it, it matters. On, it matters. I think what changes that is... Uh, which side of my personality they're on, meaning essentially if my first interaction with them was positive or negative. Yeah. And, that, and that's typically what it boils down to because the negative interaction for them, regardless, is me and what I'm going to do. And the positive interaction for the other people is me and what I'm going to do. It just depends on how you rub me. And if I fucking hate you, I'm going to tell you I fucking hate you. And yeah, so now yeah. I, I, very much, I very much so do think that most people's perception of me is a perception of myself that I could gather very easily. There are plenty of people who think I'm a piece of shit. I have piece of shit qualities. There are plenty of people who think I'm a cool person. I think I have cool people qualities. I think it just depends. Depends on, right. on, 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 on which side of the road they're on. And maybe something like a podcast where you have more long format to talk about things could show people, look it, I'm not just one individual. Your, your perception of me is one piece, one slice, one side. But there's yeah. more sides, and that doesn't encapsulate there's, all of me. Yeah, that's 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 the only difference is there's a, it's a lot deeper than just like I'm just I'm not just this dude who wants to go and talk shit online, and that's what people think I'm doing. They think I, I enjoy that, and yes, it's fun sometimes, and it's it's really fun to see how delusional and just flat out fucking stupid some people are. But uh, for the most part. I do most of the things that I do online um, as kind of like protection of this already pseudo sport. I mean, it, it's, it's very hard for people outside of powerlifting to take powerlifting seriously. And if we want powerlifting to be legitimatized, we need the people outside of it, the people who are going to spectate it, the people who are going to watch and not participate, take it seriously. And there are too many, because the sport is so accessible, and because there's so many ways to go about it, it delegitimizes it a lot. And uh, just not a fan of that, man. I, uh, 
there's a lot of people who aren't a fan of that. A lot of people who've been doing this a long time and have worked very hard to maintain a top tier standard and just people fuck that up. And I'm not afraid to be like, Hey, you're fucking this up. <laughs> you're getting greedy. Listen, I 100% agree. So I've been in powerlifting since 2007. And this is one of the topics that people actually want us to talk about anyways. Perfect segue. Um, you, here's the thing. So in the tested side, there's the IPF, some people got gripes about it for sure. But at the very least, what the IPF brings, standards are fucking strict as shit. Some people say sometimes people too strict, but you're never going to have like the strike zone that's right perfect. People are always going to be, that was a fucking ball or that should have been a well, I mean, yeah, you'll, I mean, you'll see shitty calls in the NBA and the NFL. You'll see right. players break the rules. You'll see all that. But the, on the, in the untested, because there isn't one um, you know, overall global dominant fed, we have a case sanctioning body, right? There we go. So we have a case where you have several feds and all time records, but all time records don't have a body that sets a standard. So we have seen people entering federations that are, I mean, you want to talk loose, man, me, you Garrett, me and you can make a fed right now and we'll break every record there ever was. And you can (laughs) squat high, and the shit, and the problem with that is other people, and we've seen like uh, Joe Sullivan had said, hey, listen, man, I broke a record. It was to, to spec all round unanimously. Someone could come around, take my record squatting high, and now I got to, for me to k- take that back, I might have to fucking squat higher because the weight is going to get silly. The weight could get sillier and sillier because the pauses on the bench are non-existent. You don't know Squats the perfect, be high. The perfect example of that is already within powerlifting, and that is multiply powerlifting, what happened to it from 2000 to 2010. That is the perfect example of that. What happens when we delegitimize the standards, when we lower these standards, when we give our buddies white lights, when those things happen, we see massively inflated numbers like we saw all through multiply powerlifting for years, and we're still seeing. Now, I think a couple of people have came back and really touted that they can go to the standard. Dave Hoff is a great example of that. Uh, the multiply standard, for those of you who don't know, is different. It is very different from raw and single ply standards. Um, and plus the legitimate feds, there, there aren't really a lot of legitimate feds that go through multiply. The USPA does, but frankly, it's too hard for most people who do multiply to compete multiply in the USPA. I've seen some amazing multiply meets in the USPA. The Dirty Gym in Dayton, Ohio hosts an amazing multiply meet. Very legit. USPA. I've gone and handled lifters at those meets. I love watching multiply powerlifting. I think it's a more spectator friendly version of powerlifting. The issue is most of it, 99.5% of it is absolute fucking trash. And we're starting to see that, that same thing happen in raw and raw with rap powerlifting, which is another reason raw with raps is dying. I love raw with raps. It is so fun. It is, it's, as a competitor, it's, it's way more anxiety inducing. Timing these wraps, having that extra, the excess pressure all over your body. It's not just your knees that feel it. Your feet go numb, your hips start to get tight. It's hard as fuck to walk that weight out. Timing it is, I've said this once already, but timing it nearly has to be impeccable. It's so fun, but it's dying. And it's dying because of all these dildos donut heads who are out here 
you know, doing these meets in, you know, these metal militia meets and RPS meets, uh, uh, doing these meets, squatting quite literally four to five inches high and then being like, well, they didn't call it. Cool. All right. Yeah. Let's just continue to fuck up the standard of the sport. It really sucks. Um, as for, you know, you know, kind of going back to the initial topic at hand and that the IPF has won, the IPF is the singular unified sanctioning body in tested powerlifting. There's a reason the IPF has a majority of the world competitors and a majority of the raw competitors. Um, first and foremost, there is a very simplistic seasonal path to follow. You do a local meet, you do a state meet, you do a regional meet, you do a national meet, and then if you're good enough, you go to Worlds. And that, that's like most other sports have that, that season path to follow. You know, in the NBA, you do your 82-game season, you go into the playoffs, you go into the, the quarterfinals, the semifinals, and the finals, and then you have your NBA champion. It's the same thing in every other sport. And that's one thing the IPF is doing a very, very good job of doing and has been doing a good job of doing for, you know, nearly two decades since they, you know, officially, you know, had the, the USAPL came into play and so on and so forth. It's, it's been amazing to watch. And I would love for something like that to hit the untested side. And Steve Dennison and the USPA are really trying to do that. It just hasn't picked up the steam that they want to yet. Um, the drug-tested USPA is is helping with that, but they don't have as strict of testing standards as the IPF slash USAPL. Um, they don't use WADA. Uh, they go through a third party uh, testing. And, you know, in the USPA drug tested, you can essentially get away with using SARMs and some other banned substances that are banned through WADA. Um, I mean, quite literally, I know and have reported people to the USPA for using SARMs. There's not much they can do about it. Um, but in a sport where there is an option to, mm. you know, do tested, non-tested, you're kind of a dick for doing tested. 100%. Um, I don't think there'll ever be one unified sanctioning body for untested powerlifting. I think there's always going to be one that kind of leads the way. And right now that's the USPA. And anybody else who's saying otherwise, you're fucking delusional. Um, no, it is not the SPF. No, it is not Metal Militia. No, it is not RPS. No, it is not whatever fed you and your buddies think have a super awesome, well-ran meet because you know the meat director. You're wrong. I promise you're wrong. Um, it's my big, my biggest wish for the sport is that there can be a tested and non-tested body that kind of, they each follow their own seasonal paths and it's legitimatized. Um, those types of things will get more money into the sport. It'll get more sponsors in the sport. And most importantly, it'll get more spectators into the sport. It'll, it'll give people an easier understanding of the sport. It's a lot easier to go, oh, okay, he has to qualify for this meet, to qualify for this meet, to qualify for this meet in order to be the best. Where what we're seeing most of the time is these got these fucking nobodies come out of the woodworks. They go and do two untested meets. They fucking blow out a top five total, and they never compete again. And I think there'd be way more incentive to continually compete, compete more frequently, and compete more intelligently. That's the big thing that's missing in the in the untested division as well. Is people compete like fucking idiots. That is one thing I love going to raw nationals this last year and seeing how 
those guys call numbers and call attempts and how they go about their training leading up to it. And those are all things I've known for a while, but really getting to witness it and just see how much more intellectually it's approached. There's been development. There's been true holistic development inside of the test inside of powerlifting uh, from lifter standpoints, coaching standpoints, spectator standpoints, refereeing standpoints, production standpoint, production of contest. We don't have that on the tested side. And every time we try to do it, shit hits the fan. Every time. And I think the, the greatest example of this and what potentially could have been the best meet of all time was the 2018 Kern U.S. Open. I'm a little biased here. I competed in that contest. I was the youngest competitor in that contest. That contest had the strongest lineup I have ever seen in my life. I mean, that roster was nuts. There was tons of hype going into the meet. It wasn't, I don't know if you attended, but the venue was, frankly, it was just set up very, very poorly. They got way too big of a space with way too little vendors. Uh, they, they just, their, their, their eyes were too big. And uh, the judging was off the handle. It was, it was the, the strictest and most inconsistent refereeing I have seen in an untested contest ever. And that meet, I think since then, we haven't been able to really put on a high-end untested meet that sticks. We had the tribute for two years, and it's gone. And then we got the showdown. And now we have COVID, which took a shit on showdown and so now the showdown roster is heavily watered down from what it initially was um you know there's there's big dogs big dogs is really cool and really great but it, again just not as accessible for the majority of lifters um the, the, the contest the contest idea is amazing you know doesn't matter what your weight class is you go in you put up the highest fucking total and you leave and uh, Marcus, the guy who – I don't know how to say his last name, and I really don't want to mess it up, but it's something along the lines of Markopolis or something. He's the one who runs all the, uh, the big dog meets in Australia uh, and also Pro Raw. Um, he was going to do, I believe, Warriors and Big Cats or something, which was like men in middleweight weight classes and then females. And essentially yeah. it was going to be – Anybody up to, I believe it was like 125 kilo from like 90 kilo to 125. And then it was going to be total, which is crazy to think about. And then it was the same concept for the women. And it was, and I don't remember how it played out anymore because it kind of got swept under the rug. It may have even gotten canceled. Um, but, you know, those types of contests are what really open up the untested side for viewership. Uh, they just, they never work out well. They never do. And, and maybe that has to do with politics. Maybe that has to do with who they bring on board. But I really wish those types of things could stick. Well, here's the thing. So in sports in general, and you hit the nail right on the head, I don't give a fuck. To, there's a reason why home run derbies don't draw. Slam dunk contests compared to the NBA finals don't. It's not the same. It's not the same. I want to see showdowns. People competing against each other. That's what sport is. If, if in the untested side, you don't have the pathway, like you said, leading into the championship finals, what are we doing here? I love what, like John Hack is an amazing lifter and I could watch him smash records, but 
it'd be tough to find someone to go head to head with Hack. But um, how amazing was it when Hack and Brett, who went to head to head, the showdown? I fucking I called that for the IPF Worlds uh, as a commentator. It was like in the arena, standing room only, like packed, and you could feel the tension. And it was holy shit, what's gonna happen? If it was just John Hack, we're gonna watch how much he can squat. It's a max test day. My friend, that's not a sport though. And he, the problem is, if on the untested side, like you said, everyone's split up. So nobody meets, nobody, we don't have a sport competing. So you don't have showdowns, you don't have that. It's the viewers are kind of like, well, shit, what am I like? And some, and, and here's where possibly, there'll be pushback to make that happen. There are some people benefiting off of cherry picking where they lift, smashing some big numbers, um, making records happen or whatever the shit because certain things are a little easier. And now to their 20,000 followers, 30,000 followers, they're, they're fucking gods. But if it was like an IPF structure, you're the world champ when you're the world champ. Um, Daniela Mello has to beat Amanda Lawrence to fucking be the world champ. You can't, you can't walk around saying whatever, like you have to do it. So Russ has to beat yeah. Brett. Brett has to beat Russ. People on Russ's side or Brett's side of the world can't be like, well, I think Brett's number yeah. one. No, but he has to beat Russ. Right. You know, so you can't. In untested powerlifting, there's like kind of a, a blind, like deniability. Right. There and it, and it, yeah. And, it, and, it, and it's, it's essentially, it's like, oh, well, uh, he did an RPS meet. I did a USPA meet. His total was 10 kilos higher than mine, but I weighed in a kilo lighter. But, you know, my meat was more legit. But then you just go to open powerlifting and you compare the two, and it's like, okay, well, the guy with the 10 kilo total is better. Right. We can see that. His, his coefficient is better. His total is better. Who gives a fuck what they weighed in at? We see what we see. That's the issue we're having in Untested is there is too many easy ways to increase your total 10, 20, 40, 50 kilos. And we're starting to see those absurd 50 kilo, 40 kilo differences in totals uh, purely off of shit standards. A great example of this, I hate to bring this back up and I hate talking about this guy, but I'm sure you guys remember Matt Mitchell. King Bulldog yeah. or whatever the hell his name was. I got in a, I had a big online debacle with him a uh, year and a half ago leading into the tribute of uh, 20, what was that, 19, 2019. That wasn't a year and a half ago. It was like a year ago. And uh, basically the guy went and fucking smashed like 9.50 or 9.30 at an SPF meet. It was fucking eight inches high. It was disgusting. It was the number two squat all time at 242 at the time. And if you ever looked at that list, that list consisted of people like Andrew Herbert, Kevin Oak, Dan Green. And I don't know if you remember, but just before that had happened, or maybe just after, Andrew Herbert hit an all-time world record squat. And after he watched the video, he reached out to Open Powerlifting and asked him to rescind his record. That's right. That's right. You know? I'll, I'll, yeah. that, that's some fucking man shit right there. That's some yeah. man shit right there. And so... I got pissed about this squat that Matt Mitchell did. Called him out for it. Dude threatened to break my fucking legs or something. I don't know. I was like, you know, come do a fucking real meet. Come do a real meet. He comes out to, to tribute. He's, I think he squatted 959. I think that's what he squatted in, uh, at the SPF meet. He comes into tribute and bombs on 810. On 810. That's 
10. That should be a warm up compared to the night. That is a 62 and a half or 60 kilo difference. That should almost never happen. And what makes it funny is it's not like the dude just had a bad day. It's like the first squad he took, he squatted four inches high and got called for death. The next two squats, he dunked and couldn't even get his hips out of the hole. He just got bent over like a dude in the Turkish bathhouse. It was. <laughs> it, that's the cool. That's a soundbite. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's those types of discrepancies when they're fulfilled that alter the entire course of what's happening inside of this. Again, pseudo sport. It's the reason it's say, it's staying a pseudo sport. And frankly, what really, really sucks is what to me what sucks more than anything is the untested side of powerlifting and the viewership that that gets is ruining the tested side of powerlifting. Because pe- people who don't know the sport, they're just going, "Oh, they're both powerlifting." They they don't understand the differences between tested. I mean, they might know the difference between tested and untested but they don't know the difference between the IPF and the IPL and the USPA and the USAPL. They don't know those differences. They don't know those discrepancies. And if we want this sport to grow, we need spectators to be involved in what's happening in the sport. How many people do we know who can name nearly the entire NFL roster or, Hmm. or, or, or every starting player on every NBA team, or they can tell you the stats from anybody from, fucking Giannis to Vince Carter's last year in the NBA. We'll, I'm not going to say we'll never have that in powerlifting, but I'm not going to see it in my life. I'm not mm-hmm. going to see it in my life. I don't know if it's ever going to happen at all, but if powerlifting on the untested side ever, ever becomes legitimatized, I will shit my pants. I will in, shit my pants. In a large part of that. So I agree for sure. You need standards. And then for that, you need some ego checks. And um, you'll always have some people trying to jig the game a little bit so that their squats, like they, they want to be contenders when they're not legitimate contenders. And they want, they want to be in the mix when they haven't quite earned it. But you, you, you would need a rallying call around a specific federation and then, and then a, a format, like you had said, where everyone's leading towards the same goal of a world championship so that there's actually showdowns and competitions between people. Um, and not so right. much we, we spread right the fuck out. So if there's right. how, how it seems very difficult. Well, here's another thing that impacts it that I love that you brought this up first off. And I don't know if necessarily everyone in the untested realizes when you bring it all under when people year after year after year are under one banner. So to go on to the U.S. national team, you have to go to U.S. raw nationals and you are competing against people. You want to talk about handling. It's not, we go nine for nine. My goal is we go nine for nine. My goal is we go, no, no. It's in terms of game day strategy. It's a fucking chess match. Do the bare minimum to win. Yeah. Do the bare minimum to edge out the rest of the contest, the rest of the competitors, so you can go to worlds and fucking murder. The, and the strategy and, involved is, is fucking, it's not checkers. The amount of moves and plays oh no. you can make, you can get, you can lose to someone who's, who's weaker than you. And people don't so know this. Happens I, all the time. I, I, I had never had, <laughs> I never had this little epiphany in, um, 
in the, in the psychological game of meat day handling. I had this little epiphany at Raw Nationals. I don't remember who it was. It might have been Joey, honestly, but I don't remember. Somebody put in a third deadlift call that was outrageous. It was like a 10-kilo jump. It, I don't remember who it was, and I'm so sorry that I can't recall the, the exact uh, situation. But somebody put in like a 10-kilo or, or 12.5, 15-kilo jump on their third, and it caused the person who was in second or third place to also make a ridiculous third jump in order to edge out for the, for the coefficient win. They miss their third, and then they just go and drop down their third deadlift and smoke an easy third. And I mean, and like seeing that and, and seeing like the true competitiveness, that's what's missing. Raw Nationals is so competitive. You go there and, and you're minus like, yes, the top 83s are competitive and the top 74s are competitive amongst each other and they're kind of like uh you know pretty far from the pack but even then the the bottom you know 12 of 15 lifters are all within five to 12 and a half kilos of each other's totals and watching that all take place all these same weight class competitors who all look different they train different they lift different and then seeing them put up such similar numbers and then just edging each other out that gives you that true excitement as a spectator. You go to a fucking local meet and there's some fucking douchebag 82 kilo kid taking it way too seriously and, you know, going out there and dying for a fucking basically a participation medal. It's like, I can see why people in, on, on, the, on the USAPL side of things have so much more fun and last so much longer in the sport that's the huge discrepancy that's another huge discrepancy untested lifters and people who compete in untested feds even if they're not using stuff they're in the sport for such a significantly less amount of time i mean two years max you see kid because there there are so many nearsighted goals in the usapl that's being a regional meet um, a national meet, uh, collegiate nationals, which also is amazing. Collegiate nationals is awesome. And then worlds, there are so many short-sighted goals that you can achieve. It keep, it kind of keeps your interest in the sport longer. It keeps you pushing longer. Whereas in, in untested powerlifting, what is there? Oh, well, I can win my local meet. And then what's the next goal? The fucking Kern? Like what? <laughs> How, how am I going to go from a kid? Like, again, there's just no clear path for these athletes on this side of the aisle to take. And so people don't, they don't stick with the sport as long. I mean, I mean, I made, I made an entire sheet um, of the, the men's and women, the men and women in, inside of showdown and, and made some notes and saw that some of the top competitors on both sides, men and women have only done two contests. They've only done two contests. And you look at that and you go, okay, these people are going to be done in, in two and a half, three years. They're going to be done before they know it because their, their goals, they, like they've already hit their top end goal. And what, what, there's nothing to maintain. You know, whereas in the IPF, you go, to, you go to Worlds, there is probably no more redeeming and satisfying feeling than going and winning Worlds twice or three times. I mean, I watched The Last Dance. Did you watch The Last Dance? Yo, fuck yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh man. And you know, it was amazing. The, whole yeah, the whole concept of just like proving it, 
You know, the, the only, there's only a couple of people who can really say they've done that inside of uh, untested powerlifting and inside of the U S inside of uh, the IPF. I mean, you have people who dominate at the top of their, of their respective classes for deck, like a near decade. And, you know, we have a little bit of that. We have like Andre Milanichev, you know, Andre Milanichev is real and, and Ed Cohn and, you know, soon to be John Hack. Those are going to be the people who we see dominate the sport for, I mean, Andre Milanichev squatted a thousand pounds in, I don't know, 23 meets mm-hmm. and uh, something like that. 23 meets between single ply and raw. And, uh, you know, there's not a lot of people who are going to be able to do, to achieve those types of feats in the untested side when the, when the, when the eye of how long you compete is so small. When, when, you know, most people go in, they're like, okay, I'm going to go in. I'm going to try to be the best. I'm going to fucking come up short every single time. Then I'm going to quit because I hate it. Mm. And then the, and the other thing with the untested or tested powerlifting, <laughs> the approach and the coaching is so much more legitimate. I mean, I wish more untested powerlifters would get a coach who isn't just some fucking IG lifter on a shit ton of gear. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would be amazing to see more untested lifters take the tested approach to powerlifting. You got to think there is a reason we are seeing uh, kids like Sean Mills and, and Shane Nutt and, and, and uh, you know, Blake Barrett and all these kids who are consistently just pushing that envelope. And that's because they're getting legitimate coaching. They're getting, they're taking a legitimate approach to the sport. And then you see, you could see some kid of the same initial strength level enter the sport at the same time in the untested category. They get turned on to completely different coaches, completely different approaches. It's, it's way less intellectually based, way less science-based. And then the paths just go two completely different ways, two completely different fucking ways. Um, you know, I used to have so much disdain for the tested side of powerlifting. As a, when I was a natural lifter, I had so much disdain for the USAPL. And, and because of this and because of that and because you have to bench flat-footed, all these very arbitrary reasons. And uh, looking into it now, man, I, looking back, I really wish I would have taken the, uh, the, the, the USAPL IPF route into powerlifting. I think... Um, there's a reason those guys are elitist, and that's because, frankly, they're smarter and better than most of the untested guys. And that, well, that's just... how, how much of that do you think is also because you have to show down and face each other in a competitive scene? Like, for instance, let's talk about handling. When, when coaches and handlers walk into Raw Nationals or World Championships, get the fuck out. I can tell you right now. They have, let's say you're showing up for Team USA and, and uh, someone from Ukraine. They have from top five to ten, everybody's your percentage that you hit your third dead, your percentage you hit your third squat, the percentage when you miss your third squat that you follow up and miss your third dead. They know the percentages. So when you miss your third squat, they know he's more likely going to list his third. They know all the percentages on all the lifters. And even in terms of like understanding the rules, for instance, you could change your opening deadlift. So I can, you can be in there 
building your subtotal and based off of the projected forecast, you're like, for us to catch up, I need this squat, this bench, because I'm looking at his opening dead in the forecast of projected. But my forecast of projected is baloney. You know I'm a big debtor. You know you're waiting for the dead. But I'm going to fucking drop my opener. So now you're missing your third squat and bench because you're chasing something that's not real. That happens too. And then you change your third dead. You put a placeholder deadlift. So I put 400 kilo deadlift. I'm not fucking touching 400 kilo, but I have the lead on you. So you can put in a placeholder deadlift. We both can change the last deadlift twice. You have to blink first. You have to go out and you have to pull. And if you want to leave your placeholder dead, I'll leave my placeholder dead. We both pull four keys. Nobody moves it, but I'm in the lead and I win. So you have to blink first and you have to change it to a different weight and just hope you guessed right. And now I only have to change my deadlift to exactly what I need to beat you, whether you got right. your third or didn't. There's like, in terms of game day strategy, I've had game day people on from all these different nations. And some of these guys are paid coaches from, in Europe, the government pays them to be the national team coach. It's, ah. it's, it's real. It's real though. Like the level, like you said, the level of professionalism, they show up, it's a fucking job. So, yeah, and then people, people, they, I, I've actually gotten talked to about this before is somebody asked me, why don't we see pertaining to this subject? Why don't we see that type of meat day approach inside of untested powerlifting? Well, the contest to contest, they aren't as competitive. Well, you, know, yeah, you don't yeah. need to. John yeah. Hack doesn't need to. Why the fuck well, is John well, Hack yeah, have to worry I, about yeah, that? Yeah, well, and <laughs> even then, even, even then, even then, they're just not as competitive. Sure, they're stronger lifters. Sure, there, there's a bigger gap between one and two, you know. The class as a whole, the, the classes as a whole, contest to contest, are nowhere near as competitive. And that's one thing that I think really separates – that's another thing that really separates John Hack from the rest of te, uh, untested powerlifting. He spent – he was in the IPF from, I don't know, 2013 to 2017. Yeah, he won U.S. Raw Nats twice, I think, maybe three times, actually. And he won the World Championships, obviously. Massive showdowns every time. Like, he, he didn't have an easy day. So, you, he carved his teeth. He earned he – he had to learn how to A-handle competition. I love hearing people say, like, oh, it's so unfair how strong John Hack is. He's just strong. And I'm like, he's not just strong. The dude won. He's been, he's, he's been around, like, yes – relatively speaking six or seven years in the sport is not that long compared to the majority of competitors <laughs> most competitors have been inside this sport for one and two years yeah oh yeah john has competed like 20 something times over the course of seven years across two maybe three i think he did like an apf meet or something like that back in the day across three federations following a legitimatized seasonal path so on and so forth there is a reason that dude's in a completely different league. There is a reason. And it's not just because he's just a freak. He's gotten to see all of powerlifting and compete in all of powerlifting. I mean, people won't even remember this, man. I, I met John for the first time at the 2018 U.S. Open. John couldn't compete. He hurt his quad. And, and yeah, like, yeah. No, like, yeah, no, nobody, nobody was talking about John then. And John, John stood there by this pillar on the left side of the stage, looking up at the stage, his arms crossed, and he's still in a singlet, still got his knee sleeves on, 
I'm like, yo, man, like, you know, what happened? He didn't know me. I didn't really know him. I knew of him as a lifter, but from a personal standpoint, we didn't know each other. He's like, yeah, man, my quad. And we talked for a second. And he goes, he goes, and he says something along the lines of like, it, it doesn't matter. Because like at some point, at, at some point I'll be better than all of them. But he said something <laughs> along. The, like he said, he said, he said something along the lines of like, I'll have my time. Yeah. And, and, and I can't remember what it was, but at first I brushed it off. Yeah. And then he left the IPF and did his first USPA meet. And you just saw these very consistent 10 to 20 kilo total increases as he went. And then before we know it, John Hack's totaling 2,000 at 181. Yeah. John Hack goes and does his first meet, his first meet above 80-ish kilos. Right. If you go look at John Hack's open powerlifting, every single meet is between 80 and 82.5 kilos up until the last one. And I believe even then he was like 89.5. Um, you go and look at it and 20.55. Yeah. And now we're going to go watch John Hack do like 9.70 at 90. And <laughs> when I first started watching, only super heavyweights were hitting 2,000 kilo totals. And like John Hack is benching 250 keys, 550 pounds in the gym now. What are we talking Fucking about? Crazy, man. What are we There's, talking about? We're talking about a once, in a, a once in a generation lifter. We're talking about an Ed Cone. That's what we're talking about. That's who John Hack is. He is my generation's once in a generation lifter. And, um, you know, to be able to hold that placard, to be able to, to hold that, like there has to be some legacy with it. Like he's got to continue to do well and dominate, but I almost think he's already got that. And I think seeing John and the way he approaches things, I don't think he's ever going to like, I think at some point he'll probably be like kind of sick of powerlifting and putting his body through this or whatever. And what sucks about that is John's the guy who could be like, hey, I'm done with this for a while. He could take three or four years off, go back into one year of hard training. And before we know it, he's fucking beating everybody's asses again. Like does he, People Does he forget. need a rival, though? Does he need someone to keep him interested? If, he, if it's just John showing up, <laughs> kicking the you shit out of people. You know, who's, you know who's keeping John Hack interested, I think? It's fucking Dan Bell. It's <laughs> 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 just being, being better than, the, the, than everybody. I think that's what's keeping John Hack interested. I mean, he's literally – he's done multiple major feats. I mean, he – dude, he out – I mean, I remember people talking about Jesse Norris. And then before we know it, Jesse was kind of in and out, right? And which I, by the way, hope that Jesse Norris, because that's probably the only person who could, like, that would be. Primetime Jesse, though. But Jesse's got to be 100. You're one of the only, historically speaking, the only guy with the same potential as John Hack was Jesse. I think they were both, like, in terms of just potential, yes, 100. Thing is, Jesse, I am 95% sure is never coming back. I'm also 95% sure yeah. he's never coming back. Um, you can't maintain 585 for sets of 12s on deadlift for 10 years. You just, <laughs> he's, just, he's just never stopped doing that. He's just never, ever stopped doing that. He, I don't think he really knows much different. And that's okay, dude. The dude had his time. I think he enjoys what he's doing now. I think he's fine right. with that. Yeah, he's moved on. It's a pretty arbitrary sport anyway. But uh, that would be, to me, probably the most ideal contest to watch would be – I know I would say Ed Cohn, but Ed Cohn was just in a very different time. It was – It's different. 
much more gray and clouded in trying to figure out what the standard was and so on and so forth. And Ed will tell you, it was stiff bars, but the plates weren't always calibrated. And, you know, the suits were a little different. So it was kind of raw, kind of wasn't, yeah. so on and so forth. But, like, a Jesse Norris, John Hack showdown <laughs> would have been. <laughs> Dude, that's like, no, that, that's honestly the dream showdown. If you were going to say prime, pick two guys, go head to head. I, I don't, that's it. And what's both. even more amazing about that is both of them are so unassuming and nonchalant yeah. about their lifting. Yeah. Like, to watch, like, like I'm a, unfortunately, I don't like to be this way, but I'm very much so a head case when it comes to contest. I'm a, I get very, emotional is the wrong word, but I get very, very anxious in my head on me day. And it, it's always haunted me, and, and I think it will for a long time. It's going to take me years to really grow out of that. Probably going to see a sports psychologist soon i have a somewhat volatile relationship with powerlifting seeing john hack just walk up to a bar shake his arm a couple times and then just pick it up it's one of the most frustrating things in the world dude yeah. watching him just like hop off a bench after benching two and a half times body weight and then just like kind of hop on his toes a couple of times. I, I love how like, he does that, too. I know. He does his, yeah, he just balances his <laughs> you, you know, it's, it's funny when you describe certain lifters, like when you're a powerlifting nerd, like we're powerlifting nerds, you know people's pre-set up for their squat, their bench, their I know the I know the nuance. I know every single, like, nuance of, like, I, like I, have you seen those videos, those TikTok videos that have gone viral of those two kids who like imitate basketball players and the way they run and the way they shoot and the way they kind of move. Like I want to, if any of you motherfuckers out there steal this idea, I swear to God, I'm gonna fry you. I think, I think, I actually think a kid already did this with like people's deadlift approach, but like, that's one thing like I thought would be hilarious to do is just like kind of poke fun at every one of these lifters little nuances. For example, like, uh, you know, when you used to post, when I was, when my comp stance deadlift was conventional, you used to you know, post up the stance of peace. And I don't yeah. know if you remember, but I always oh, did yeah. this like, I breathe with my arms yes. out. Yes, yeah, of course pose, I right? remember, and man. I, I never really realized I was doing that. It was just part of my little you know, routine. And then it kind of like became a small little thing amongst the people who follow me and the people who actively um, engage with me is like T-pose, T-pose, T-pose. And it's like every lifter has these fun little nuances that are just, I, I watch people try to recreate those as a way of inspiration. I have lifters at my gym who literally go, and when they deadlift, they do the John Hack, like opening of the chest. Yeah. <laughs> and then the, the really quick reach down to the bar. Yeah. And, and, and like, I see kids uh, like Russ with his dog tags. I see kids start like putting their shirt in their mouth. And, <laughs> and it's like, and they do these things for inspirations. So, so, so really it, it, it's almost like, uh, it, it's a way of, 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 sh of showing like respect. And uh, um, I, I believe it's a way of almost showing respect to those people. Paying homage but too, I, man. And you yeah, look up the, you, that's, I, I that's what I was looking for. That's what I was looking for, paying homage to them. Yes, very much so. And, um, you know, lifters like John Hack, 
who and Jesse Norris, who just do things so nonchalantly. And Russ too. Russ just yeah, he does smiles. Russ just, does not. I, I you you Russ fucking smiles all the time. You you don't. I can't picture Russ running around hyping himself up like getting mad being like like that's not russ if russ was ever like that i'd be like what the fuck happened to russ he's awesome see if i ever if i'm ever like hyping up and moving around it's, it's got nothing to do with making myself mad or getting emotional ironically it's me trying to contain this anxiety that i have uh when it comes to bigger lifts i am such i'm such a fucking gym lifter dude i am the biggest why do you think that is why, why do you think that is I'm just very anxious when it comes to contest day. I don't know why. I've never performed well in contest in any sport that I've done, ever. I've always been way better in practice and training. Track, uh, basketball, like, oh, basketball. I wasn't a good basketball player to begin with. <laughs> but I, I, I do pretty well in practice. I kind of keep up with everybody else, you know, be fine, whatever, especially as I got older. Um, Granted, I never really got to play, and I always ended up quitting before the season started and whatever. But we'd go into a scrimmage or, or games in summer camp or whatever, and I would just shit the bet, like I always do. I would just shit the bet. And uh, I think that's something that's just really only going to go away with time and, and confidence and, you know, maybe, you know, sports, a sports psychologist or whatever. And, uh, oh, man, my gym total – is 47 and a half kilos higher holy shit than my best contest total. well well listen you you mentioned sports psychologist and that's something that other sports olympians all have sports go see sports psychologist. like that's par for the course you fight it's it's almost amateur if you don't at some level um and i've talked that's, to that's some happened one Stevie Cohen was on the podcast actually talking about it. it. But more than, you know, other lifters are starting to, though. Steffi Cohen's probably the big, she's like the biggest name, period. But um, Well, that's what, that's, what got, that's what got me to, that's what, you know, planted the seed of the idea in my head. No shit. Um, okay. I, yeah, yeah, with Steffi. And so I, the, the, the person who I intend on seeing um, is the same guy Steffi saw. Like, it, if anybody watch like watched how things went for Steffi over the years, Steffi had a rough go for a while. Mm -hmm. I mean, she bombed out of multiple USPA meets in a row. And then even going into the 2018 Kern, which like I said before, was a very controversial meet because of the calling. She went one for three on squats. Like most of us did, you know, mm -hmm. she had a very rough going and uh, you know, seeing how she you know i don't think stephanie's done with powerlifting by any means i think she's bored of it and pissed off about some things that have transpired over the last couple of years and um when stephanie i think when stephanie finally decides to you know when she when she can refocus and really invest in powerlifting again i think we're gonna see a whole new animal i really do I really, I, I think, I think Steffi is very, very far from being the best she can be. She, she, what, she was on the podcast. She, I think, I had her on. I think it was before the showdown with Maria, uh, Mariana Gaspar Ryan um, at the, uh, was it the Kern? I think it was the Kern. And it was the, the Kern. It was the Kern. Uh, it was the Kern. Uh, 2019. Uh, 19. Yes. And it was. She was talking about 
look at exactly what we were already saying, but to add snowball off that. So she was like, yes, I had some shaky performances. People were throwing it in my face like they fucking do and saying like, you're not, you choke when it comes to the big game. And we see that in sports period and people are saying you got tons of potential, but you're not going to live up to it, yada, yada. And when you're as big as Steffi is, um, you know, people, you're going to have haters. Doesn't, you have just tons of people who love her and, and fucking I'm a huge Steffi fan, but you're going to have haters, right? And oh, she yeah. said, I need to, I need to cover bases, be professional about this. I got that, like physically got all the tools. Let's, if that's what it is, if it's the game day shit that we need to brush up and if there's any choking going on or second guessing, whatever, I need to fucking tidy that up. So she went to see a sports psychologist, walked into this. Um, I had her on the podcast before the meet and she said, we think that 700 Wilkes should probably win it. And judging by previous history, um, 700 Wilkes, I remember thinking that's probably is the mark. And so she was, I thought, bang on. The rest of the world would have thought, bang on. She went toe-to-toe with Mariana Gasparian in a fucking phenomenal right down to the last deadlift. One of the best showdowns, probably the best showdown of the year, definitely on the women's side. And she hit like, oh, yeah. basically 700 Wilkes. She hit the goal she wanted to hit. And she did everything under her control properly. And it just so happens Mariana hit a 720 and nobody in fucking history would have beat 720. So Steffi could hang her hat and be like, I hit the 700 that I wanted. I did what I want. I didn't choke. Nobody could say I choked. I did what the fuck just so happens uh, a monster like Mariana put the biggest powerlifting performance. Yeah, you know what? Well, I will say though, man, there's a lot of controversy behind that contest. Was there? Okay, speak on it because I don't know all about it. I'll speak on it, man. So, um, you know, going into a big contest like that, especially where there's you know that much money on the line, and there's that many high-level competitors, there's some rules that need to be taken seriously. When you're going into contests like this and people are spread out among different weight classes and you're shooting for the best overall, when you sign up for a weight class, you have to stay in that weight class. And uh, those are part of the rules of the time. That's part of IPF. And, you, you're not 30 days out. You're done. You're right. Weight and, class so, and so I believe it was the week before or maybe two weeks before, if that. It, it was never even announced. Uh, I thought Mariano. it was sooner she moved into the weight class. It might have even been sooner. It might have. I thought it was like a couple days. I was like, it "What the fuck just been, happened?" I, I, I want to say. I thought it was week of. And it was I like, want to say. Fuck? I want to say week of is when people found out. Right. Okay. And okay. um, you know, I'm not going to accuse anybody of anything, but we knew what gym Mariana trained at, and we knew who the meet director of that contest was, in every other scenario what happened wouldn't have been allowed to fly and had Steffi known the change in weight class the entire approach would have been different so I think Steffi got cucked hard and I'm friends with Steffi so of course I'm biased in some capacity but I'm also a realist I'm a very I'm a very realistic person and and it's like <laughs> in my mind it's like you know going into a UFC fight and then last minute they tell the the the, the fighters that they can wear you know smaller gloves or whatever you know when you have it trained for this specific change in contest you're not going to be able to live up to that change and uh, that 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 contest was that should have been talked about a lot more I think Steffi did a very 
honorable and humble thing and not talking publicly about how she got fucked, frankly. And uh, I think that's cool. I think that's really cool. I think that shows a lot about Steffi's character. Um, but I think, think, but again, issues like that are what delegitimize the sport. And it's very frustrating to look at, because, you know, the, objectively speaking, the Kern was supposed to be the meat of meats. And how can we have that when the sanctioning body is changing every year, when the meat directors and the sanctioning body can't come into agreements on very minuscule things, when there's rule adjustments and there, there's just adjustments made that are against the rules for lifters from their home gym, so on, so forth. And so um, just a lot of controversy in that contest, man. Very, I was there that day. I was there. I actually uh, I handled a couple lifters, and I uh, did some commentating, um, which I love doing. And uh, it was very upsetting. And, and, like, one, Steffi was pissed the whole day. And mm -hmm. she still performed near immaculately. She actually went uh, seven for nine going, 230 on the squat, 110 on the bench, and 240 on deadlift. And uh, only missed her third pole and third squat. And, you know, to be able to still perform that well in those circumstances, knowing essentially that in the end you're just going to get fucked. And she still fought tooth and nail to beat Mariana. When you say, when you say she got fucked, so here's what, here's what, um, I, I don't know how much you could say, right? So oh, I could respect right, this, right, but right. so, so I'm going to respect that. So what I would say is, is she more or less looking at this? Like, look, it, it's okay. If we have a showdown, I showed up expecting this, but if it appears as though, um certain lifters like like everybody knew this was going to happen except for me it was kept a secret until i show up and then if i think there's ties between certain people now i'm like all right well what's going on here there seemed to be right. a party well, that i got invited late and now do you guys want to see this who wants to see this who wants to now i'm second guessing calls squat that stuff like i don't want this is getting in my head where it's like there, there should be a separation between. Yeah, how, 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 how much is this being turned against me? Is right, this being right, right. turned against me? Maybe was it is, this, maybe it isn't. Yeah, yeah. What, was, was this an honest mistake? Or, you know, are all, but the thing is, the, I, in my opinion, the more things that you can find that don't add up, typically means things don't add up. I mean, I mean, We've seen it before. We've seen it before in the earlier days of powerlifting. Of, of I'm sorry, the earlier days of the surge of raw powerlifting, uh, UPA meets where people were texting their weigh-ins and weighing in on home scales and all that type of shit. Oh yeah, that should happen. <laughs> oh yeah, and if, and let me tell you guys out there, if you don't think that's happened, you are dead ass wrong. You're dead wrong. There are cheaters everywhere, and it sucks to see. And you know, everybody's opinion on cheating varies. You know, some people call me a cheater because of certain choices that I have made, but I have chosen to, you know, keep those choices very honest and compete within a pool 
that allows those choices to be uh, essentially universal or at least universally essentially be be universally available. Yeah, I agree. Um, Not to touch back on the (laughs) tested versus untested time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I made all these notes uh, because I figured we were going to talk about the showdown meet. I made all these notes, made some predictions. Oh, shit. Okay, we'll get to those in the shake. But um, okay, so you were saying uh, we were just talking about the uh, the rules. And you know what? This kind of does – it – goes back to what you're saying previously where in terms of if we tighten up on this end of things you know things like this kind of look at put it this way put it this way on the best case scenario there was nothing dodgy happening but on the surface if it looks dodgy it's not great so if it's like look at um excuse me pardon me but it looked like there was a last minute audible that a few parties knew um mariana might be in this in this weight class and it was kept a secret on purpose to get a jump on somebody that doesn't look good yeah and then and then once that happens you start having people be like what it starts asking questions and i just want to say for the just to be neutral maybe there was nothing else beyond that but it on surface level you don't want questions like that or the lifter the other lifter to be like excuse me pardon me but that kind of looks like you know, it doesn't look good. I got a bad taste in my mouth now. Who the fuck knew what beforehand, even if nothing right. else happened? So, I mean, there's, there's just two big things to look at there, right? And so, and, and even if we give people the benefit of the doubt, it doesn't look right. So here's the thing. Someone wants to change weight classes, fine. It's against the rules a week out. Let it happen, fine. Run off of that, announce it to the competitors. So regardless, the first action was wrong. But there could have been a right taken from that action, and it absolutely was not. So now there are two immediate wrong actions. A step further. um, uh, No, I'm not going to go a step further. (laughs) Can I? Okay, look at this. This is being mature. You know what? I respect the fact where it's like, look at you call it like you see, but at the same time, you don't want to say something that you're not sure if it is, if I, which, exactly. is, which, is good, not, which is good. I'm not going to give an absolute speculation. I mean, right. I, would love, yeah, I would love to talk conjecture all day, but, uh, you know, that's unfortunately not the world we live in. Actually, it, you know what? With everything that's happening in the world, actually, a lot of things are built purely <laughs> on conjecture and speculation, but... Yeah, and here's um, I it, I fucking swear to God I remember with the weigh-ins uh, actually messaging Steffi and being like, "Holy shit, did you know?" She's like, "No," and I was like, "Holy moly!" Because I remember posting, I remember as King of Lifts posting, "Oh my God, Marianna's uh one like moved into Steffi's weight class." Didn't see that coming, and then Steffi with I remember like a conversation she had no idea till the weigh-ins, which would in day before. Now I might be remembering this wrong. But no, I'm you're you're, rem- you're remembering it pretty right. And and then Steffi being like like at the time, you know, competitor she is, she's like, I guess it is what it is. Let's, well, do you, let's do you know how do you know how people found out? I mean, Steffi didn't find out by looking at the roster. Steffi didn't find out because she was informed by a meet official or by the other competitor. Steffi found out by a <laughs> very overplayed Instagram post. 
a very overplayed, I sat in the tub and I wanted to quit and I wanted to give up and I did it. And my coach said, don't give up. So I didn't give up. And I, I made weight. I made weight at, at, at 60 kilos, 59.9. And it's like, come on. I mean, like, again, I'm not giving any speculation, but come on. And, and the other <laughs> thing is, nobody, this is not speculation. I think only two other competitors saw that person weigh in. So people didn't see it though. Well, like, what is the protocol with that? Like, uh, so there isn't, here's, in the IPF, not, there's weight I'm not in saying that. They weren't, they, like, I'm saying, like, as far as I know, only two people saw that person go into the weigh-in room. And those, were they the officials? Or how does no, it work? They were two, it, as far as I remember, it was two other competitors. But mind you, this is a while ago now, and I was really stoned that whole week in California. So... <laughs> <laughs> there's another Garrett Fierce soundbite for you um yeah I mean I, I know in terms of uh like IPF you have official weigh-in time all of the competitors line up in a row and one by one you go in the room with officials when you win I don't know exactly how obviously so on, it on the untested different. side on the untested side we obviously we have 24-hour weigh-ins um, so technically, weigh-ins can't start. If the meet starts at 9 a.m. on Saturday, weigh-ins can't start until 9 a.m. on Friday. And then you get a typically, – typically how it goes is you get a two-hour window from 9 to 11. They'll do a late weigh-in from, you know, usually like 4 to 6 or 4 to 7. And then most untested meets have stopped doing morning weigh-ins altogether. Mm. Uh, but my personal opinion is I think – Across the board, we should have 24-hour weigh-ins. I think across the board. I think the IPF should have it too. Uh, every other weight class-based sport other than amateur wrestling does 24-hour weigh-ins. That's MMA. That's boxing. That's uh, – yeah, frankly, you know what? Those are the only two well, weight pro class sports. sports I can think of. Uh, like pro sports, you're right. They, they have 24-hour – but then Olympic sports, amateur sports, like wrestling, Olympic weightlifting is two hour. That's a whole different conversation. When you open it up to 24 hour, you will have freak weight cut. It, it's another intangible where some people doing the exact same protocol will see the benefits of a weight cut far greater or far less. So then it becomes the better weight cutter could all of a sudden be whooping well, ass. Right, and, but I think, that's, I think that should be another thing that's factored into the sport. It's already factored in the sport, just in a much, in a much smaller aspect. Uh, I think if we had 24-hour weigh-ins across the board, we would see some fucking awesome competitiveness. I mean, can you think of, like, like some of the lighter 83s? You know, if they could diet a little harder and then do a big water load and cut. Well, and then the see some of, these, some, of these, some of these 83s go down to 74 and yeah, how but... nutty that would start to get <laughs> how big the pool would just start to move away from the old standard oh it'd be beautiful but so i'm a huge mma fan a boxing fan and they're most of them are 
trying to advocate to taking away 24 hour because they don't some of the because they're types, dangerous they're because dangerous. they're dangerous yeah, yeah. that's and why can, and, and you can and have they will, performances by accident but here's the issue usually the people who are like heavily endangered by their weight cuts are taking a very idiotic approach they're literally just like well i'm gonna put on a sauna suit and a trash bag and go sit in the sauna for 14 hours and like yeah of course like there's there's like anything in any sport there's an intellectual route to take and just a lot of people don't take those routes out you typically out of arrogance and out of superstition i believe i mean i can i won't name drop because they're, 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 he's a, a cool guy, but a, a high-level competitor on the untested side who usually walks around at his contest weight already still cuts for every meet out of anxiety and superstition. He, he walks around – I'll tell you his weight class. He walks around at like 110, 111 kilo. He competes at 110, but then he'll sauna, 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 sauna four Dude, to five days – Four to five days out every oh, day and then do like cut out carbs and cut out this and cut out that. But he doesn't have to. Jeez. He doesn't have to. But what pisses me off more is he still always has a fucking amazing meat. Ah, An amazing no. contest. So it reinforces it because, hey, fuck oh, it actually yeah. does good. That's what I'm saying. Out of, out of uh, superstition and anxiety. Can you read that? I got to write it backwards. I'll, I'll tell you later. I'll tell you okay. later. But, okay. Um, and we might use video on this, so maybe don't write it down. Okay, <laughs> okay that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> Thank you, Garrett. What are you doing, man? But um, uh, well, also, 24-hour um, weight, sometimes you have people get greedy where they're like, like it's too tempting because they're telling themselves, and this is what well, happens people, in MMA. People think they can cut. 10 keys and and then still put up a 30 kilo right. pr total right that right. is what sucks about the fringe fucking idiots in powerlifting Ugh, i'll die for this yeah, i'm dying for this exactly fuck you you're literally gonna die for yeah. an arbitrary number yeah Ugh. no it's yeah. true um people and sometimes you're way too big for a weight class but you're comparing your big ass, like your numbers to the weight class below you and be like, if I could somehow get down there and maintain my numbers, I'm competitive. When in, you're against people your actual own size, you're not competitive. The Frankly, is, I could think of one person. I could think of one person who made super extreme weight cuts and still performed relatively well. And that's Dan Green. I mean, you do some crazy weight cuts. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah man if people really like if you ever get the chance to just talk to dan green please do please do i went out to boss of bosses last year i got to spend some time with dan green i went out to eat with him had a couple drinks with him and, and trained with him at his gym super amazing experience you know somebody i've looked up to for before i powerlifted actually i actually Actually, Dan Green was probably was probably the first power lifter I actually had ever even knew about because I read about Dan Green in uh, Men's Health and Fitness. People don't oh, know that. Shit. Dan he was Green, in, well, he, he was in Men's over. Health and Fitness as like that. He was still a power. He's always been a power lifter as a power lifter. 
as like the tenth fittest man of all time no! on this list. Fucking yeah. Man. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and this so that time how, before. Sorry, you go ahead. Th- this was this was uh, before his ma- first couple major injuries. Uh, this was when uh, he was putting up all those world records at Rum. I don't know if you remember Rum. You remember Rum? Oh, fuck yeah. Oh, oh yeah. fuck yeah, dude. Rum <laughs> was – I'll still go back and watch fucking Rubish v. Oak v. Uh, Yuri v. Dan Green at, like, Rum. Oh, my God. Rum, if we could Jay bring – Oh, yeah. If we could bring, <laughs> If we could bring Rum back, that's Steffi's whole goal. Steffi wants to bring the concept of rum back. I don't know if you've gotten to talk to Steffi at all about Kratos. Have you gotten to talk to her no. about Kratos at all? No, no, no. Tell me about it. So What's going Steffi on? was going to put on this on this this year in November originally was going to put on an event called Kratos, and it was essentially essentially going to be a strength expo. So the concept was they had they they released a promo video on it before COVID hit. Um, the concept was all there's a tested powerlifting stage, a non-tested powerlifting stage, and the Olympic weightlifting stage. And I believe they were going to do some other events, but these were going to be the big three. They were going to do just like the same way the IPF does it and every other sport does it. They were going to have, you know, team jumpsuits, USA, you know, wherever you Oh, shit. Really? They were going to do the whole fucking thing, dude. The whole thing. You get to you know, it, it, it would have been a, the most legitimate event, I believe, in powerlifting ever. And I think the, a bigger reason I believe it would have been the most legitimate event is because I got to run the hybrid showdown day two. I got to run day two of that with Alex Uslar. And just the, the, the way that group of people can delegate, pull resources, and execute – is something that doesn't come by often. I mean, especially their delegation. When those guys know somebody else can do something well or even better, they will give it to them just so the event in and of itself is better. Right. Um, Hybrid Showdown was the most fun meet I had ever been to. Now, I'm, I'm biased. I got to run the second day. I was all over everyone's ass, dude. I am such a micromanager. It's fun as hell. Um, but man, that that day, that that day, the hybrid showdown really put into perspective for me. Like, wow, like Kratos is going to be huge. I I I, got, I was fortunate enough to have a little bit of inside knowledge on Kratos. I got to see the promo videos released early. I got to see uh, a lot of the the the, the meat venue and and some of the concept art. Uh, early and just it it would have been and I think it's something that people really need to keep focus for is November 2021 uh, Kratos so any of you li- big lifters out there who are listening to this any of you tested untested lifters Olympic weightlifters even who are listening to this keep an eye out for late 2021 Kratos it's going to be fucking huge and there isn't going to be any other contest that you want to do it, it, I mean if you look at how um, hybrid has grown as a business. You know they know how to handle the business. You know they're well. And, and I love that you said, in terms of delegation, that's one thing that people need to learn how to do. I took on a couple partners for a KOTL, and the one guy who was like, I took on a guy who's not even a powerlifting guy, but he's a business guy. And he said, "My man, your number one thing if you're going to grow this, and this is a few years back, we've grown a lot since then, is 
you have to release control and allow delegation to other people and let them do their thing because you will reach a point where you can't grow beyond and humble yourself and realize there are some people who do certain areas, like you said, as good as or better than you. And once you get out of your own way and realize, I know this, I know that on a high level, but this person's better at running the stream. This person's better at uh, the actual management of the platform. This person's better at scheduling. This person's better hunting down sponsors. Like once you get to the point where you're like, I need a team, you're as strong as your team. And if you're a person who needs to be a control freak, basically, which I think to an extent we all are, it's natural, especially when the stakes get high. If you just we try also to do it all. Inherently, we inherently trust ourselves more than we trust other people. Fair. Fair. You know, that's, well, some, sometimes I'm like, fuck, I don't trust myself. I need someone. Sometimes it's a confidence issue too, where it's the opposite. I mean, it could go either way with some people. But, you know, some people think it's a negative to be like, I second guess myself too much and I, I leave it to other people. It's like sort of, but also it's not a bad quality. Maybe you're not second guessing. Maybe you're being realistic. But yeah, sometimes I trust myself and I'm like, I don't realize, hey man, other people could do what you're doing and maybe even do it better. Take advice at the very fucking least and yep. get coaching. Yep. That's, I mean, that's, I wish more people had that mentality with, with coaching. Yeah. I mean, I wish there are so many lifters out there who have vast amounts of potential who are just too ignorant to get a coach or change the way they train. God, there are so many people I want to name drop right now. Humble, they got to humble themselves. Oh, yeah. Well, that's the issue. Um, and uh, the, the issue is some of these people are at the absolute top of the game. And uh, they can't seem to perform well. And they can't. And they think they know why. And they don't know why. They act like they know why. And then they continue training the same absolutely fucking ignorant way they always have. We, we don't look at ourselves and self-evaluate like truthfully, like you don't, you think you know what's going on with yourself, but it's nothing like having a third eye who's like, I have no emotional attachment to these numbers, to your goals. I'm going to tell you exactly what I see. Whereas you'll have an emotional attachment to goals and numbers and you will inherently make excuses or start right. fogging things up a little bit. Oh, and there's a, there's a second end of that too. There's also a lot of people who try to get too many eyes on their training. Well, and they try to get too many people involved with their programming. And again, I could name drop, but like if you're having this guy coach your deadlift and this guy coach your bench and this guy coach your squat and then you're having this guy go and handle you on meet day, you're, you're adding in way too many factors and way too many different viewpoints for you to be successful at this one thing. And uh, it, that's, that to me sometimes can be even more frustrating. I've coached two people. Um, both high level, very high level lifters um, who at the same time I was coaching and programming them, they both had two other people writing them programs and coaching them. How the fuck does that work though? Because in the end, they didn't do what any of us fucking said. Because <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they can cherry pick what they like to hear from you. Oh yeah. Here's oh, the yeah. thing. I, I've had actually, I've heard of people being like, um, can you can you program for me squats just squats i just want to bring up my squat i got dead and i got bench it's like my friend you don't That's know the how much shit i've ever heard yeah i know here it is no i've got, got i've got i get it all the time hey bro 
you are you're a really like lanky tall guy and i'm lanky and tall and i've got my deadlift figured out but i really don't know how to squat that well could you coach me how to squat i can coach all three of your lifts yeah but i don't need that what they all were like what I program for your squat is going to impact everything else. And what you do the rest of the week is going to impact your squat. It doesn't work uh, like singularly not attached. Your week is your week. Your week load is your week load. What you prescribe the rest of your fucking week can change your squat. And what I prescribe on your squat is going to change the rest of your week. And when we do that week after week after week without it doesn't work singularly like that. If you're saying, yeah. just take a look at my squat, a technical stance, that's one thing. Program your squat and your squat only, and I'll program my dead and my bench. The guy or girl doesn't understand how the nervous system works in terms of like an overall machine, like the all-encompassing. Yeah. It's fucking, yeah, it's frustrating. It drives you crazy. I think the most frustrating thing I ever hear is, uh, and I hear this a lot, and it's almost strictly from high-level lifters, is uh, – I need to go heavy, and if I, because if I don't feel the weight, the next time I do that weight, it's gonna feel heavy. <laughs> what did you just that's fucking science. say? That's science, bro. That's God, science. Do a fucking Google search, bro. What are you <laughs> doing? You have a supercomputer in your hand, and you still think this stupid fucking shit works? No. God, man. Oh. Oh, it, yes. it's, it's frustrating. It's, it's, um, I do think that podcast, social media and everything is helping in terms of spreading information. Um, what, one thing that, okay. So a couple of questions here, let's get, we'll, we'll build up a couple of these questions and then we'll talk about showdown. Cause we're, we're, we're talking, but I knew we were going to be talking. So we talked about squat depth. Um, you know, we talked about some of the things you would change about powerlifting community in terms of like the, the structure of it. What would you change in terms of fans, athletes, and social media with powerlifting? Cause there's, there's some, there's some issues that you've had with people, with fans, with athletes and how this shit is working, how social media is impacting, how people are using social media, et cetera, fans and athletes together. Right. And, and how would you make some changes there? What do you uh, think about this? What do you think about that's, this? That is a, that is a loaded question because really it is. It is. Well, really, really it's on, it's on the, 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 the major topic that we were talking about for the majority of this podcast and that uh, there's no legitimate approach to the untested side of powerlifting. Um, the reason you don't see as many fucking numbskulls um, saying stupid shit in uh, tested powerlifting is because they have a seasoned path to follow and there's only one way to be legit. In untested powerlifting, you can, just bullshit, you can just bullshit your way around it. What would I change? I would change exactly what we've been talking about. I would, I can't make a new federation. We could, but it, just, it would just burn out like every other fucking stupid untested fed has. Um, what about, what about like, be... how people handle themselves on social media in terms of like, um, you know, some people like maybe if there was a pathway seasonal up to a championship, you're not looking to cause shit to create uh, traction online. 
um, because you have a pathway. I'll see you at nationals. I'll see what worlds you win, you win, you don't, you don't. Um, if there's a showdown, we can hype a showdown. I think I'll out squad. I'll think I'll do this. But if there isn't, and there isn't any of that, the only way to get traction is, is talk shit online. And it becomes like, we're not going to go anywhere with this. We're not even hyping a showdown. We're not even, I'm not sure what we're doing. It gets like, I know what you mean. Where maybe is, do you think that's part of a problem where it's like, I'm not sure what the hell's going on right here. Are, are we just talking shit to talk shit? Like what is go like, you know, is that a little too much you think, or how do you feel? I, about that? I love, I love shit talk amongst competitors. You know, people <laughs> pug. Yeah, yeah. Ricky Cho loves his Ricky is fucking awesome. I made one comment pertaining to that whole thing. I I posted up on my story and I I tagged Pug and Atwood. I was like, Pug, my man. Maybe talk more when you beat Atwood. (laughs) (laughs) And I love both those guys. I think they're both awesome competitors. They both seem like really cool people. Um... I love the shit talk. I think every sport has shit talk. You can maintain camaraderie and talk shit. Right. You can do that. You they and Belkin do were doing that. You and Belkin were just friendly busting chops when he was busting oh, yeah. chops. And it's like, that was funny though. And you're like, fuck it, it's funny. It, it was hilarious. I yeah, loved yeah. it, dude, yeah. I loved it. If you can't handle shit talk inside of a sport, Get the fuck out of the sport, dude. Did you see, dude, Yuri literally commented something like, along the lines like, your total in pounds is my total in kilos. Yeah, he was, was like, he was, <laughs> he was, he was, he was but, but he also, he had a way of delivering, like, like Muhammad Ali in the 70s. He would shit talk and give you like a wink to let you know, oh, like, yeah. I'm just shit talking. It's all like, like it, it, it still entails sportsmanship. Right. Um, Right. That's it. Now, what I, do is a little, yeah, what I do is a little different. The shit that I talk, the people that I shit on, I'm shitting on them because they just fucking suck. They're just fucking shitty fucking humans with a shitty approach to life and a shittier approach to powerlifting. Oh, <laughs> do, do you feel, is it exhausting though? Like, um, because then sometimes, here's the thing. If it's like Pug and Atwood in them, they'll still hop on a podcast together a couple times and, and they'll still like, there's a weird unwritten boundary that both guys, I've talked to them in private on the podcast together in and off. And both of them are kind of like, look at like, and they touched up on stretched a little bit where it's like, eh, I'm not sure this guy likes this or whatever, but they'll both kind of had this weird um, almost understanding. Right. But sometimes you'll run into individuals where it's like gloves off. We're going in. And then it becomes like, it's a weird thing where you can unload online. I, I, this is the way I am. If I get pulled into stuff that's too negative, I carry it with me even when I'm not online and it can impact me. And if it's too negative, I'm like, I don't feel good about this. And um, does it get like that sometimes with yourself where you're like, fuck man, it's not turning off. We don't have a showdown where we, look at, if you had a showdown you're gonna meet and then the best man wins, you're, it's almost conclusion. And then it's done. If there's no conclusion because you're never going to meet like this, then it's like, I don't I mean, know. Frankly, every situation I've ever had has its conclusion. I can go down the fucking list of them, dude. I mean, Nick Forte literally quit powerlifting. <laughs> oh, he literally quit. 
after I was done with him. Matt Mitchell bombed out of his meat. Tom Callis came and showed the fuck up, hit depth, murdered. I got to judge his squat. I got to judge his squat. There is no more complete ending than I do. I shat on Tom Callis three meets in a row for his previous shit standard. Tom said, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to shut up everybody and I'm going to go and I'm going to murder this. And he did exactly that. And was I upset about that? No, I got exactly what I wanted, dude. I got exactly what I wanted. My sport got more legitimatized. A legit lifter got more legitimatized. And he put on a better performance. Okay? I mean, Evan Cardon pulled out of a meet for a fucking pouring callus. Like, okay, I won that too. Like, my goal isn't to win, per se. I'm not trying to win these little debacles I get into. That's not the goal. My goal is really to get more people to to try to maintain the integrity of the sport. That is my goal. I want more people calling more people out for dis, disintegrous. Is that a word? I'm making it a word. Disintegrous type shit. That's not definitely not a word. I'm, I'm going to say it. Um, disintegrous. Um, like, man, it, it's just, it's very, does it hold with me? No, no. Why doesn't it hold with me? Because in the end, I don't give a shit. I mean, I, I guess I do. In the end, it doesn't holistically affect my life. It doesn't change what money I'm making. It doesn't change if there's food in my mouth. It doesn't change if I have a bed to sleep in. It doesn't change if I'm going to lift or not. The only things that really ever hold with me, because people try to personally attack me right. all the time. And let me tell you, you making fun of me being skinny or using drugs in my past, um, I'm very comfortable with the life that I've lived. I've accepted everything that I have done. You can't, you can't hit me like that. You just can't. But I will say the only thing I really start to notice is I will start to spend a couple of hours at a time just thinking of really funny shit to say to these people. <laughs> like, 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 it, Emin, like Eminem, MGK, you got two weeks, everyone's waiting for the diss track to drop. You're like, it's got to be a banger. It's got to be a banger. I so you. badly want to be a part of a roast and want <laughs> really? to be roasted. I love getting roasted. One, it, like, I'm not a humble person whatsoever. And I think it humbles you. I think it humbles you when somebody can shit on you and you can be like, oh man, he's got a really good point. Yeah, you know, and like I think that's I think that's awesome. Um, I I would love to just do like I I made a post a couple of weeks ago. Like I'm about to make a post that's like top five powerlifters who train like complete fucking imbeciles. <laughs> and like, dude, I all I really almost did it. I really did. It all five are the same guy. You did. <laughs> well, the irony is two two of them like. Like, I was going to put somebody on there twice. Yeah, that's, of course, that's, man. You got to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But um, I don't know. I don't think there's – the only – like, I, <laughs> we digress, referring back to the initial question. I don't think there's a lot that I can change. What I would change would be that, that, that seasoned path. Uh, that, that, sorry, that seasonal path. That's, that, I think that would be the only way to truly legitimize – the sport as a whole is that if every aspect of it tested or untested had a seasonal path to follow. Um, I think, I, and I think 
you know, people love to talk about my social media beefs. I think we need more of those. I think we need more people calling more people out. I think we need more people. I'm not a fan of call out culture or cancel culture when it comes to people's personal lives or whatever. That's, that's kind of ridiculous. Um, granted, I will shit on somebody when they're being absolutely fucking complete idiots online. But uh, <clears throat> I think we need more of that. We need more people holding people accountable. Um, well, well, let me follow up with that because that is interesting. So I get what you mean. Um, for sure, like call, calling out is one thing. Canceling is another. So what if things get, like, for instance, with Atwood and Cho, which just seems to be the, or, and not just, at, at Ch Cho, Pug will go at uh, Michael C, Perkins, like, you know, all the 74s, but Atwood's by far, he's the king, so whatever, he's the guy who stands out. But with that, it never gets too crazy, too personal. However, when shit get crazy and get personal, it's starting to get, we haven't seen it so much in the IPF where shit gets too crazy and personal, but in, in some of these other call-outs, it has gotten like they're, they're what you're comfortable with because you're comfortable in your own skin. Some other people be like, God damn it, you're bringing up things in my past I'm not comfortable with. And then some people pile on and it becomes not a, a pug situation. It becomes- Oh no. A, it, it, I, will it, does it turn into a cancel culture? Will some people raise their hand and be like, I feel like the community canceled me. I feel like I'm actually getting shut down. My life is being impacted. I'm getting canceled and it becomes cancel culture. Do you think to yourself, my friend, you brought it on yourself. If you hit me, I hit back and everyone else jumps on my side. You cancel right. yourself. Um, or do you think, or do you think, fuck, let's not do this. Cause that could eventually turn on me. Tides turn, you know, how fickle fucking oh, yeah. people oh, are. Dude, I, I've said it a million times, dude. Something that I said somewhere via text message, via podcast, it's going to get heavily isolated and pulled way out of context. For sure. And I'm going yeah, yeah. to get. Like in a Turkish bathhouse? Yeah, like a dude in a Turkish bathhouse. Listen, I, I've accepted that. I'm okay with that. I think I'll be fine regardless. You know, I know how to, you know, I've been, I've been in the bottom. I've been in the bottom of a glass before. I can, I can refill it just fine. Um, for example, like the whole, the whole last, the last little online beef that I had was with that uh, Nick Forte dude. This dude, you know, some people say I brought it too far because the dude's a correctional officer and he made these stupid posts called like Forte Fuman, where basically he'd try to be a knockoff Robert Frank. You know who Robert Frank is? No, sir. He's that dude who records videos in his car outside the gym. And he's got a tank top on and he's like flexing real hard and he's real red. He's like, you need to do that. And he's like, you know, screaming in the camera, talking real fast. Right, right. Gotcha. This guy tried to make those videos like that. And after I called out another person for shitty squat depth in the meat, he made this post that was uh, one of these shitty Forte human posts. And, uh, he goes, basically, it was something like, if you can't squat it, shut the fuck up, right? But he started this post with, oh, what's up, motherfuckers? Forte fuming here, back again. Sorry I've been, you know, quiet for a while. I upped the trend, and I've been going a little crazy. Jesus Christ. Yet in his bio, he has corrections officer. <laughs> So I reposted this video and my caption below it was <laughs> corrections officer 
openly admits to using anabolic steroids online. And then the guy is like, you attacked my personal life, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, dude, no, you attacked your own personal life. You have correctional officer in your bio. You love to brag that you're, you know, uh, an LEO of some, of some sort. And uh, you're talking about using anabolic steroids, which are illegal on a public space. You can talk about whatever you want to talk about. But if you want to work in public works, don't post the illegal shit you do on a public space. So, after, so afterwards, I'm going to this event at uh, Colin Whitney's gym, which I'm really excited about. I love Colin Whitney. And uh, Christine and I are going out there uh, in a couple of weeks. Uh, it's in Pennsylvania. And he threatened me. He said he was going to show up and uh, he's going to – it sounded sexual. He said, we're going to see what those thumbs really do or something, you know, something stupid. It wasn't sexual. It was him trying to shit talk me and intimidate me. And it's like, bro, I've had my ass kicked by people a lot scarier, a lot more intimidating, and a lot overall better people than you are. I'm not worried about you showing up at all. And, uh, you know, for me, it's like, if you're gonna, (laughs) that that fucking dumbass put himself in that situation through and through. If you think I'm trying to cancel his life, I'm not. Really, I'm just trying to get the guy to fucking think critically. You know, that's that's one thing people, I mean, I'm missing that attribute sometimes. It's just thinking critically. You know, thinking about something before I say it. You know, I have that issue quite often. But like I said, if you want to work in a public space, if you want to, if you want to work in public works, don't post the illegal shit you do online. It's probably not a good idea, guys. Probably not a good idea. Yeah, I, I mean, it is. Um, yeah. Well, first off, I don't think it should ever spill into like real life. No. Acts of acts of retribution type shit is going a little far uh, for sure. You don't want to be showing up at powerlifting competitions and then even just as a spectator person there and it's like, if this isn't a club. I don't want to, when you go to a club and you're worried if something's going to jump off, you don't go to a powerlifting competition worried about shit like that. It's like, man, it's getting a little, a little untidy. That is something else that I have never worried about at any IPF competition. <laughs> it's, yeah, um, you know nothing that will guys, ever jump off. Yeah, because you guys don't have the fucking big, dumb, fringe idiots who absolutely abuse steroids. That's why. You guys don't have the guys who are out here running literal grams year-round of gear and then showing up to contests or getting online and saying stupid shit. I've, in the past two years, I've had five quote-unquote elite-level lifters threatened to beat my ass at meets. Holy like it shit, happened. man. Really? Oh, yeah, dude, it happens all the time. And every <laughs> one of them, every one of them was somebody who absolutely abused steroids and looked like it. I'm sorry, but listen, guys, let me tell you something. If someone's constantly red, they have acne around their whole entire, cystic acne on their whole entire body, and they're 26 with the hairline of an 85-year-old, that dude is abusing the fuck out of steroids, okay? Maybe this is a little hypocritical. When there's that many egotistical people abusing steroids all year round for years on end, you're going to see some stupid, crazy fringe fucking idiots you're gonna see what is the duty like because it's a hormone right and i don't think everybody necessarily understands you had touched up on this last podcast but you said listen to me anyone listening who who's thinking about taking steroids you're like you are not you 
anymore when you cross that path and start fucking with your own hormones and you're, you're straight up about it. You're like, trust me, if you're listening to this, don't do it. You're not going to be you anymore. Things change. And um, I don't think people necessarily like, well, I know a guy on, on sauce at the gym and he seems fine. Like, he seems like a cool guy. Yeah. You know why he seems like a cool guy? Because you only see him for two hours a day inside of the one place where he gets to be somebody absolutely else. He gets to be somebody that is completely different from his normal life. He's looked up to, he's big. He's in the one place where being big is a positive attribute. He's in the one place where being strong is an absolutely positive attribute. So of course you look up to those guys who are on gear. Let me tell you, you probably shouldn't. And you really shouldn't look up to anybody just because they're strong anyway. You should not. You should not. One more time. You should not. And it, it's different with people like Russ. You know, Russ does all the vlogging and he talks to people every day and people go and meet him. And you see that Russ's character is true in what he shows online is a big part of who he is. You know, and there, there are some differences. And he's, he's spoken about this. He doesn't swear as much in his videos. Yeah, he he's speaks clean, so, eh? he is very clean. He's very, he's very squeaky when he's public, but he'll tell you that. He'll tell you that he wants to set a more positive public example, which I think is awesome. That type of transparency to me is very, very respectable. And um, he's like, you know, online, I'm not, like, not going to talk the way I always do in person, but this really is a part of me. And, and I completely agree. Those types of approaches are fine. But like, if, you, if you're looking up to somebody who you see on Instagram because they just scream and yell and they pick up heavy weights, like, yeah, man, you realize that guy's broke as fuck, can't hold down a relationship, and his whole family hates him? Yeah, don't be that guy. Do not be that guy. It, it is, there is more to the surface. Um, not that, like, everybody on steroids has got this problem or whatever. Like, no. One of my idols is Arnold Schwarzenegger, for God's sake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, and that's not what I'm saying either. I'm not saying everybody who takes gear goes crazy or it absolutely changes you, uh, abs you know, in, entirely. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying people who are obviously constantly abusing steroids are probably not people you should look up to. It's like there's a difference between uh, um, a guy who using goes on and a weekend, abusing. Yeah, a guy who goes on a weekend for a couple of drinks or an alcoholic. And the alcoholic's going to have issues with everybody around him in his life, probably. Yeah. And so there's going to be characters like that where it's like, hey, man, this guy might be, or guy or girl could be to the gills. And has all types of fucking issues, but as long as they look amazing with their shirt off, smashing weights in the gym, you're gonna be like, I want to be like that guy. It's like you don't know what you want to be like necessarily. You don't. Nope. You have no idea. There's definitely repercussions. Um, guys, go and look at Steffi's boxing training and how rapidly and exponentially she has improved. What's she doing there now? Is she gonna start boxing? She said she's going to do an amateur fight. Yeah. Oh, shit, man. Yeah. She's going to do an amateur fight in uh, late, I think she said 2021. Yeah. Holy fudge. Yeah. But, and like the other thing is, dude, guys, like Steffi is like 27. Yeah. She's 28. Like, how, like, I don't know if you know this, women don't really hit their prime until they're in their mid to late 30s. You guys want to see some fucking awesome examples of that? Yeah. Kim Walford. Yeah. Oh, my God. Jen, Jen Thompson, Kim Walford. Jen these are the goats, right? Yeah, these are the goats. And, and they're still getting better. 
they're mm-hmm. still getting better. The, the, the threshold for women, the ceiling for women, is so much higher in this sport. And that has become very obvious. And I think that is probably the single biggest contributor to the massive growth we have seen inside of this sport in the last five years is the women that are doing it. Mm-hmm. Is the women like, like, like Steffi Cohen, Jen, Jen Thompson, Kim Walford, uh, you know, Amanda Lawrence, Jessica Bittner. Yeah, the yeah. list goes Jessica on. Jessica Bittner. Is it, is it, is it Bittner? It's, it's pronounced Bittner. It's spelled Bittner, pronounced Bittner. Yeah. Okay. She, dude, she was on ESPN. Fuck it. Like, yeah. Dude, she's, she is an animal. Yeah. She, and she's also probably the nicest person I've ever had interactions with online. An amazing podcast guest. Cause she's talk. She's funny. Um, I had she's good sh- looking. She's like a fitness. She's actually in a fitness model contest. Like I she, know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Listen, those contests are fucking bullshit. Those contests are always bullshit. Those are ways to direct trafficking onto these websites. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I don't give a shit about but the yeah, yeah, yeah. but she's a poster girl. Like in terms of look, she's like Russell. Like Russell's bodied up, amazing personality. Jessica's bodied up, amazing personality. Both of them the best in the world. Like except the Jessica's hacking. Jessica's taller though. Oh so. shit! <laughs> yeah, I had to do it. Ah shit! Um, she is taller. I would like to talk on that real, just real quickly. I think Jessica Butner is probably going to become, uh, and if, if she isn't already, uh, to most of you, probably the best IPF female lifter of all time. Let me say something. Like, because she's Canadian, I'm Canadian. People always say I'm biased as shit, but Jessica Bittner, and I go off on Jessica Bittner, but she's, like, she's incredibly talented. There's a couple people like Leah Bavois from France who's fucking doing crazy oh shit too. She is so awesome to watch. It doesn't even make sense. It doesn't even, like, like she's, uh, the number she's hitting as a 63 kilo lifter is fucking well, like a... Uh, man, I wish, I don't know why, but man, I don't know, like, I wish I still had the ability to just like you know take take my current max for a double like man fuck <laughs> you guys, man god yeah there is no there is no cap um and then obviously add to the fact like if we're doing our our potential down the road comp like card um you throw in uh hunter henderson to the mix in terms of who's going to be the queen like i i'm on page with you in terms of her potential i also think if we're doing together this you know, card that's to establish the kings and queens, and, and certainly in terms of the untested. Hunter Henderson and Cece Holcomb? Oh, well, Cece's gone. Cece comes back. Get, shut the front door. Yeah. What are we talking about? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, 100%. I think that'd be good. Is there anything else we should add before we wrap this up, my friend? I think we got two podcasts in one. I'll probably oh, split yeah, up the two. showdown. I'll split um, the showdown one at, apart, but... I mean, just real quickly, I can go back over some of these uh, uh, some of these questions that we got. Uh, yeah, yeah, sure, man. Because I can quick. edit this up. I can edit this up. Um, I'm in no rush, just to let you know. I just got to be yeah. mindful of your time. But um, I think we will have two podcasts, one of them being the showdown preview one, which is gold. Some people tune in just for that. And then the other one. Okay. Um, so just the last thing I'll answer, because I got this question all the time. My favorite tested and untested lifters to watch. Yeah, man. Um, so even before he was the best, it was John Hack. So I'm going to actually exclude John Hack from this. Uh, my favorite non-tested lifter to watch 
um, is probably Tom Martin out of oh, the UK. Shit. If you yeah. guys know Tom Martin, uh, I've been watching Tom Martin for since I started as well. Um, Tom is a lot like me, taller guy, lankier guy, uh, good squatter, great deadlifter, uh, gets injured often, yet always comes back and comes back better. So big fan of watching him lift. As for the tested, uh, my favorite Ooh, that's actually a harder question. My favorite tested lifter to watch. And here it is. Let, let me throw this out to you. As you're thinking about this, it might help you or it might just convolute it. But you have somebody like, for instance, Russ, who fucking finds himself in a showdown every time he's out. But then do you, or do you like the massive Ray Williams thousand pound squat or Dennis Cornelius? Or do you like the Taylor Atwood in the middle of no. a five-way battle. I like the actual, like, what I would consider the middleweights. And so I think my favorite lifter to really watch in the tested division, and obviously I'm going to exclude my own coach as well, yeah. um, is probably Ashton Rouska. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. He is probably my favorite lifter to watch. Uh, so we'll see what that guy starts to do. Because uh, he's, I, I feel like he's just hitting his stride, and I think we've he, said that multiple times over the past couple of years. Well, here's the, the thing. Stride just. Yeah, here's the thing. Look at let, let's say it's it's kind of like you were saying where, um, he when he goes to a local meet, he'll fucking he'll put up on like Ashton is world currently records. Ashton is currently a gym lifter. He's currently a gym lifter or a local meet lifter, or, or but like he yes. has won the U.S. Raw Nationals, but he's also lost it when you think he might win it. He he. He hasn't had that fucking day yet where he's like, he has his hat. But the, that's right. He hasn't had his day. Um, as for women, my current favorite non-tested female lifter to watch is Chloe Lansing. Uh, I talked oh, about her earlier. She was okay. the, she's the 148 competitor uh, who, has, who is disabled. Uh, she is so awesome to watch lift. She's very technically sound. And she has a, a lot more to, to, to dial in than most people. Uh, and as for my favorite tested lifter, oh, God, why is this category so much harder? Because uh, it, here's the thing. There's so many tight battles I in the 72s. 80, 84s with Amanda versus Daniela. 72s with, from Kimberly to Jessica to uh, fucking – or 63s, if you like Sam Calhoun, Leah Bavois. My favorite tested lifter to watch is probably Christina Lazo. <laughs> oh, yeah, dude. Jessica Buettner. Oh, Jessica there Buettner. it is. There it is. There it is. There it is. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. Um, also, a guy who somewhat is in, his, in the pocket now, like on the other side of his prime, but um, Dan Green, my God, I He's like watching a guy come out of a comic book. He made lifting so damn cool before yeah. it was cool, before anyone knew power. You know what? I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this. Dan Green will come back again. How old is Dan? It's injuries. It's not age. He's in his 30s not, still. Uh, I believe he's 33. Let me go and look. I thought he was a stitch older. But, like, like look, in your 30s isn't old for powerlifting. Guys, guys and girls are in their 30s all the time. People oh, he's – He's uh, uh, like roughly 37 or 38. Okay, so he could still hit 
You know, like, like, look at Dennis Cornelius is 39. Like that, that doesn't mean too much in powerlifting, but it's injuries that have plagued him that kind of took him out. But man, there's something about Dan Greed, like that aura of how cool he was. Dude, he didn't, what he it is is nobody. Dan Green is the original modern icon. That's yeah. what it is. He's the original modern icon. He's the guy on all of our animal shirts. He's the deadlift that everybody tried to mimic. Yeah. He's the hair that everybody wanted. Yeah, he's, he's a got cool the dude. physique. He's got the physique of a stacked fucking bodybuilder. Yeah. So, you know, Dan Green will, you know, I almost don't even count him. When we talk about like people who I love to watch lift current or past, like a couple of, like, I don't count Ed Cohn anymore. I don't count Dan Green anymore. Once you've hit that point of legacy, it's like, well, duh. It's like calling yeah. Michael Jordan best bas- your favorite basketball player. It's like, right, duh. Right. You know, he's got that legacy to him now. So I try to typically exclude the really, really top guys because, of course, and not because I'm trying to deny a fad or not be on a bandwagon, but just because I think it's important to keep also looking below the top tier to see who's next. You want to have a discussion. Look at it. It's like, who's the greatest? Well, fucking Muhammad Ali. But let's, if we just stop there, we'll always stop there, like you said, and no one else gets love. Right. Ah, shit. All right. Well, this is, that's another podcast. But you know what I mean? Where I know you mean where like, you, you, you won't, uh, you won't have a discussion on if you just stop because you could you like you said you could stop at Ed Coe and Dan Green and then that's it no one else gets any discussion right. involved um it's already let's I'm just going to quickly take a look to make sure we don't miss nothing else but I think we hit quite a fucking bit dog we had a good conversation yeah man we hit pretty much everything I'm just looking at so this is everyone had sent in a bunch of questions for anyone listening um and we got tons and I couldn't do question by question because like, first off, thank you very much. There was tons of questions when I said Garrett was coming on. When people heard you coming on, you know, the thing is there's so many, <laughs> so many questions that a lot of them were the same category. So I could just clump them together and touch up on your thoughts on all these different categories. But um, it is a testament to when people found out you're coming on, they're like, Oh shit, let me get these questions in. But I, I honestly, man, we almost got to leave some of it just to, like, we can, we can have you back. You know dude, what I mean? I'll, I'll, dude, yeah, I'll come back anytime, man. I, uh, you know, this is all good practice for me. Like I said earlier, I've been really toying with the idea of doing my own podcast. And, um, you know, and if I, did, if I did do that, I would obviously talk about powerlifting a lot. And um, Would you talk about other things as well? Like, oh, would, yeah. Would, yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. I already have like a, a couple of the things I talk about. I'm a big, um, <clears throat> uh, I'm a big fan of uh, a true crime, like actual true crime. Big fan of like serial killers, the occult, cults, uh, cryptids and monsters. Oh, I love shit. all that shit. Huge fan of all that shit. So I, I do a lot of talking on that. Uh, I'm obviously like everybody, I love music. So I would delve into music often. Um, I would avoid a lot of like outwardly controversial topics. Um, I don't like to talk about politics. I don't like to talk about those types of things. Um, but I'd also do like a legitimate, like I'd want to do like, I'd like, I've had this idea cause I, I you know, I'll, I'll write down on paper, you know, like some of these ideas I have for, uh, names of a show and things like that. And, Segments and what I would do, and one of the things I want to do is like a roast battle. Like I I just, I just, 
just on 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 like on 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 episodes i have somebody on with me i just want to spend a good fucking five minutes just baking each other just like hitting, <laughs> hitting at each other's potential deepest insecurities to make each other feel like shit just so we know that we're tighter than we could ever be ever again holy shit dude would this be i mean not everybody would would be game you wouldn't you couldn't do it with every guest because some guests would be shying away from your podcast if they knew you were going to bring up oh by the way i talked to your mom and i found out this about you and you're like holy shit garrett yeah yeah, yeah i found oh, out yeah and it, it, there there's a lot that i would do man i wouldn't have like quote unquote guests on consistently i think that's something i'd like to do like every other episode i'd also yeah. like to have different episodes that have like an entire different different structure same show two episodes different structure okay um but you know there's a lot i want to do there uh i got a lot of people who want to help me with it and do a lot with it um i just haven't really had the time to get started on it you know between running a gym and you know coaching uh coaching as many lifters as i do and uh you know dating somebody who lives uh you know three and a half hours away from me and holy being shit i didn't realize it's just three and a half hours and that's not the craziest There's oh no it's not that no it's it's not, it's, not it's, it's, it's also one highway the straight way there okay. so it makes it easier but also makes it way harder because you're just looking at the same road the whole dog time. you might be you might be recording in your car while driving <laughs> right just <laughs> running just running being like all right here's the deal here's my top five movies blah blah or whatever the shit right yeah yeah so uh, uh and and movies and pop culture would be the other big thing that I talk about. Oh, hell yeah. uh, big, yeah. big movie buff. Uh, I, I love, I love theater as well. So that's something a lot of people don't know about me. Big theater guy. Love, love. Dude, no shit. I wouldn't have thought that. No, so yeah, you go to yeah, the I theater actually, often? Well, not now, but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Fair. I, uh, I actually, I'd always loved it, and I would, I would, I would go to a show, you know, once a year. I didn't do it too often. The area I lived in or always lived in. It just wasn't that great. I actually did two shows my senior year of high school. It was the only time I ever did what theater. What the fuck, yeah, Garrett? I, <laughs> Dude, you were like an onion. You got so many layers. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, I, I had a lead role in both shows. One was just like a, a stage production, the other uh, like a play. Dog, if it's like if if you if you're like a fucking full-on Hamlet actor, I'm gonna die. You are the most intriguing person I've ever met in my life. If you like quote me Hamlet, I will fucking I die. Can't, right I can't now. I can't quote you Hamlet by any means, but um, I did two shows. The first one was called Noises Off. It's actually I call it like Playception because it's it's a it's a stage show about a stage show, and oh, it's wow. a very 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 hard show to do. It was the reason my director chose it. Uh, I had I had the lead male role, ro the lead male role Holy in smokes, that show. Uh, yeah, I played Lloyd Dallas, uh, who in the so the the noises off was made into a movie. Uh, it was written by Michael Frayn, made for the stage, but it was made into a movie years later, and the, the, it just had an all star cast. Man, I had John Ritter, Sir Michael Caine, Carol Burnett, uh, Christopher Reeves. I mean, wow. the, the original Superman, amazing show. Yeah. So I got to play Sir Michael Caine's character, who was the director of the play within the play. So that was an awesome show. Um, amazing. And then the second show I did was another Carol Burnett production called uh, Once Upon a Mattress. It's a comedic satirical take on um, uh, Princess, and, uh, Princess and the Pea. Uh, if you've ever heard that story. 
so I, the character I played was one of the three lead male roles. The character I played was King Sextimus. I used to be able to sing very, very well. Until Fuck, I hit man, puberty. are you kidding me? Really? Well, it was until I hit puberty. Once my okay. voice changed and I didn't sing through it, I don't really have my own like voice anymore. I can still sing very well in a group of people. I harmonize very well, but I just don't have my own voice. So it just sounds kind of awkward. Um, so I actually, I had the only role that didn't require singing. He's hmm. in the show. He's actually uh, in the production. He's actually, uh, he's mute. So he pantomimes everything. It's all charades. So I had to do, uh, Three, three songs, purely pantomimed. Dude, and, 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 and let me say something. For people who don't, don't know, okay, acting when you're allowed to use words is actually easier because the fucking words tell you how you're feeling. It's if way I, easier. If I take away your words and be like, show me how you feel, just with facial expressions, body gestures, it's way harder. Show me how you're feeling without words. That's fucking tough. And they're not, it's not really how you're feeling. You have to pretend. So with your facial yeah. expressions, be sad. With your facial expressions, your body slouching the whole yes. nine. That's difficult, so, man. I have the, the fortunate slash unfortunate ability of being very physically present. Uh, so like I'm, I'm al I already talk very physically all the time. I talk with my hands. I talk with my same. body. Same. Dog, I'm, same. I'm very expressive with my face. Uh, so it, it, the role worked very well for me. I was very fortunate to have a really awesome show director. And she pushed me really hard on that show. And, uh, you know, I, I found out later on that at the beginning of the year, when her and the assistant director picked the two shows they were going to do for the fall and spring productions, she'd actually essentially picked me out for the second show of the year because I took, I took a theater and advanced theater my senior year of high school. I was about to ask you, but go on. Sorry. We'll double yeah. back in a second. And uh, kind of picked me out early. So, dude, I was I was just about to ask you. So, you were full on. You're 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 a trained actor. This isn't like I think I could do that. No, like you for real trained on this. Just just for a year, yeah. And then I had an audition. Uh, I had an offer to audition. An offer to audition. Yes, I said that correctly. At a pro theater to play Tarzan. Holy um, shit! Man. I didn't even I didn't even bother to go to the audition. It was a very political theater, and like like most things it's politics are always heavily involved and i was like i ah, know this one guy is going to get the lead role of tarzan and that's what he did and i'm i'm somebody where if i went into audition for a role and i didn't get that role and i got another role i'd be pissed off about it the whole time just trying to prove that i could play the, the lead role just fine yeah. uh but yeah it, uh, actually a, a long-term dream of mine is to do a show in a pro theater not a musical i want to do like a play i want to do like legitimate stage acting and this is something else you have in, in common with sean noriega who blew my mind with some of the um interpretations he was doing of people he's doing like the joker um and he's doing like he just he should do more the guy's a phenomenal he changes yeah. his voice after but you guys have that in common that's, and um, that's actually one of the more personal reasons i chose sean as a coach because you guys clicked like this or uh it was more so over movies uh so we really uh, so Sean came to a couple of meets of mine. I've, I've flown him out for multiple meets, but it was in Tennessee at my meet in January where the whole time that we were hanging out uh, in our Airbnb, we, Sean and I just quoted movies like, and I'd be like, oh, that's that movie. He'd be like, that's that movie. Or like, 
I'd say one line, he'd say the next line. It's just yeah. kind of, and I, I guess I'm, I'm being a little bit hyperbolic in saying it was the whole time, but it was just one place that like, yeah, I really connected with him on. And my family, the only real thing we did as like family time was watch movies, horror movies, dramas, whatever, comedies. We watched all types of movies. That's one of the only things we did. So I'm very uh, deep into that culture. Um, just, I love it all. And speaking of which, did you see, I'm sure you did, that Chadwick Boseman passed? Dog, holy shit. How, yeah, 43. How, how, one, I didn't know he was 43. Yeah, had yeah, no idea he was that old. I had no idea he was that old. Yeah, he's a good looking man. Yeah, secondly, to, to keep that under wraps for that long and perform and execute and put all this out, how humbling is that? Because he, in this day and age, somebody has a mild health scare and it's all over their social media. Let alone being the megastar that guy was, and he kept it completely under. I even remember when there was all that stuff about Chadwick Boseman's um, uh, uh, extreme weight loss for this role, when what actually was happening was he was going through chemotherapy. Yeah. How amazing is all of that? Yeah, uh, listen, super listen. sad to see him passing, but what a legacy that just got left. Dog, he. Um... So the, for the last for any realistic four years, he was he was diagnosed first with stage, stage three. three. Yeah. Stage three, that's right. Which is your like stage four is terminal. So he's right there. Four years. And if you look at his career, it was the last four years that he came into prominence and, and you, Black Panther. And, and you really look at those last four years and like you look now in hindsight and you're like, this dude knew he was gonna die. And it's he a, just put everything he could into these roles it's almost like um like for instance tupac used to always say i'm a, I'm, a, I'm older so i'm from the 90s and tupac was huge and he would always but say don't talk to me like that man i, I probably know <laughs> just as much tupac as you do baby baby but uh so Pac in the 90s he was like all of his interviews he was like uh he's only he died at 25 but he was constantly in beefs like fucking, he was getting shot, shot at. He shot people, the whole nine, in and out of prison, in and out of the hospital. And he's like, he had a sense, like you said, he had a sense of this fucking thing's about to end. So every project he hit, he killed in his last three years is when Tupac became like so huge. Same with Chadwick, where the last three, four years while facing terminal cancer is when he dove in and basically it kind of prioritizes, lets you know, look, you're not going to live forever. Some people live in like they're going to live forever. They keep what's pushing your, things off. What's your favorite Tupac song? Oh, shit. I son. have a favorite. Oh, shit, I have a favorite. Well, okay. All right. Hang on one second. Woo. All right. Woo. I like a little more mellow. I do like I Ain't Mad At You. Okay. And Tupac Changes, which is kind of very fucking popish. I get it. Ch changes is, is very, very, very poppy. Very, very poppish. But wait a second. I'm not really winning you over with my Tupac knowledge by dropping the big ones. However, I also like. Fuck, man. Let me my favorite, yours. my favorite Tupac song is Thug's Mansion. Ah, shit. Yeah, and this is when he's talking about dying, though. Again, it's when he's talking about dying. He's he, the the whole song is about is uh, like essentially is 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 there is there like is there a heaven for people who've lived this life? Right. That's that's what the whole that's what the whole song is essentially about. And that he hopes he hopes that there's a heaven for people who lived the type of life that he lived. 
amazing song. There's an acoustic remix with uh, Anthony Hill. That is so, I think it's Anthony Hill. That is so good. It's intoxicating. It's awesome. Mm. Yeah, that's why I liked I Ain't Mad at You, where they have the guy on the piano and the guy's harmonizing for the chorus. And um, because, like, Tupac, he was such a, a conflicted character because he was, he grew he was up, so like... Tupac was soft. Tupac was very, not, not soft in the sense of, like, you know, he was hard. He, he was, was sensitive. He, he was sensitive. And he, he's, he's he went to play. Like, he was an actor in high school, like yourself. Oh, dude! I dude. Very in touch all, with the every, Almost every movie Tupac did, he played the same role of a conflicted thug in almost every single role he did. And it, and, it, and I think it really resonated. Uh, I'm sorry. I think it was a really a reflection of of his true internal character and this this kind of internal dialogue he was always facing with himself. Man, it's. Uh, uh, what a what a what a phenomenon Tupac is. I mean, seriously. Dude, I you, love that you know so much about Tupac. I fucking some people. I, I do. I fucking love it. How do well, you, because people I tell me cousin, like oh, yeah. I have a ahead. cousin who looks exactly like Tupac, just yeah, like just like Mexican American. He was a handsome devil, Tupac. Oh he yeah, he was. Fucking man. handsome devil, was man. Smooth motherfucker. Smooth motherfucker, man. You don't want him around your girl. If a guy like Tupac walked in the room, the guy like he was, he was bodied up, charismatic. Yo, let me, yo, let me borrow that earring, bro. <laughs> he was, he was. I remember um, before he made it big as a solo artist, he was with Digital Underground as like a backup singer and a backup rapper, and they, those guys said. Like they were stars on the national tour. Tupac was like a background singer. He'd be taking the girls because he's so charismatic and he had that, everyone knew he's gonna blow up. He's like, couldn't be contained. However, I was alive when he was alive. I was a teenager when he was still alive. And you, I, I shit you I was not, not he, died the, he died the year before I was born. 96, yeah, he, I shit you not, you felt like, and he knew he wasn't gonna last forever. He was here for a good time, not a long time. It was a fucking weird presence on certain people where you're like, love him while you got him, because this fucking guy, his whole lifestyle, like it was, you would come to school, because it was before the internet, it was internet and social media though. You come to school and hear about, did you hear about Tupac? Shot two cops on the weekend. You hear about Tupac? Got set up going to the, like bad boy in them, set him up going to the studio. He got shot five times, survived. Drops a disc record three months later talking about Puffy set me up, Biggie set me up. Fucking people in his entourage got killed. People in Bad Boy's entourage got killed. It was like a goddamn movie. And it's like, what is going on right now? Until ultimately Tupac was killed, Biggie was killed. Like, it was, this is real life though happening. Uh, yeah, man. Should yeah. have been in prison a long time ago. Yeah, to say the fucking least, my friend. Yeah. But, uh, but anyways, listen. Yeah, we, we could go, dude, we could go off. We, we 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 are going off but um uh, so is there anybody that we should that you want to thank before we let you go yeah and, yeah uh, let, let me do let me do a quick couple of plugs uh obviously yeah, yeah. shout out to steve gentilly my business partner over in the city of barbell i've got to live one of my lifelong dreams very very early in my uh my c career um, and, uh, I got, to, I've got to make an amazing facility full of amazing people that is world-class. So big, grateful for that. Follow Indie City Barbell, follow at PT Fitness 500, Steve Gentilly on Instagram. Uh, big shout out to Ghost Strong Equipment, my equipment sponsor. Uh, we're slowly stocking our gym with more and more of their stuff. Hybrid is stocked out with them. Uh, Meg Squats and Russ just filled both of their gyms with, with, uh, Ghost Strong Equipment. 
Tim Gristle, the owner, amazing human, awesome guy, real down to earth family man. Um, somebody who I actually look up to very much. So go strong equipment, check that out. If you're looking to get uh, the Lamborghini of powerlifting equipment, uh, high end custom equipment, they really filled an awesome gap there with just really being the highest quality uh, equipment. Uh, shout out to Eat Right Foods and Loop Bright. Uh, been my meal prep company for the past uh, eight months since uh, Justice Quarantine was starting. Uh, you know, there's nothing more helpful than, than meal prep as somebody who has as busy of a lifestyle as I do. Use code uh, FEAR10, save yourself money, drop meals from 10 bucks a piece to nine bucks a piece. Uh, shout out to Joe at Notorious Lifts, uh, best slippers in the game. I'm not sponsored nor directly affiliated with him, but uh, just the best deadlift slippers I've ever used. And Joe's always taken real good care of me and uh, really grateful for those guys. Uh, shout out to SBD. They've been uh, filling me up on my equipment lately. Uh, real thankful for that. And Pete Spence, uh, very, very appreciative of you, my man. And uh, shout out to my coach, Sean Noriega, who has been uh, helping me a lot uh, mentally as a lifter, physically as a lifter. Um, I'm making, you know, my total, my, my performances have not been the greatest, and that's not a reflection of Sean whatsoever. Uh, Sean's made me an all-around better lifter for the past uh, year plus, and uh, he's probably somebody I'll be working with for a long time. And uh, last but not least, shout out to uh, Jordan Moffitt, Bacon and Barbells, a uh, really good friend of mine out of Canada. Um, was making some, like, I'm a big shorts guy. I love short shorts. And he yes, released, do, a, yeah, released a couple lines of short shorts, and he got me in on it real fast. And I love it all. He's a great dude, down-to-earth guy. You guys ever – Really want to support an awesome company and support an awesome person. Uh, Jordan Moffat and his girlfriend Lucy are two of my favorite people on the planet. Uh, Fear 15 will save you money there. Uh, really appreciative of everybody out there who's been supportive of me, even though I've been quite the jackass since I got in here. Uh, I will always be real. I will always say what I want to say. And I will always piss some people off, even if it's not my intention. So. And lastly, thank you, Ryan, for having me on here again. And I'm really looking forward to doing it again. Dog, the door is always open. And one more shout out to Tupac in Thug's Mansion. I know Thug's he's Mansion. there. He's there, buddy. Ain't he's no place there. I'd rather be. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my friend, we'll keep in touch. Thank you very much for coming on. Definitely going to have you on again. Yep. Much appreciated. Hey, don't make your intro 29 minutes long this time, all right? <laughs> People were fucking bitching at me the whole time. Uh, yeah, no intro this time. There's no, there's no intro at all. Beautiful, beautiful. Great, Love it. Uncut filler. All right, okay, Ryan, buddy. I'm out of here. See you, buddy. We'll talk soon. You bet.